0: Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.com, 2 True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite 2 True Freaks-affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please... Use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you.
1: (laughs) And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks internet radio broadcast.
2: Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hard-working people. I'm Batman.
1: Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of
3: Thor.
2: This looks like a job for Superman. Hey,
4: let's roll. Hey, look here for Captain America.
5: It's a diamond. It's
2: the rocketeer. Hulk! Snow! Gentlemen, you're up.
0: Who's bringing this thing in? How about you? Me? Oh, well, I always have to. Oh no, I'll do it. I do it.
3: always bring it in. <laughs> I always have to bring this show in. Actually,
4: to be fair, I'm I'm kind of used to that. You know, Chris's introductions are hey, yeah. <laughs> hey. <I know>. Yeah. <laughs> all right.
5: <laughs> Actually, I can are imitate
0: Harry Lewis all of a sudden. I can <laughs> imitate one of Chris's uh, Chris's intros. That might be fun for, for a change. <clears throat> Alright. This is fifty-five, right? Yes. Alright. <clears throat> Here we go. Hey and welcome to Comics Monthly Monday. Monday. Fifty five can't even do it without cracking. Someone just
5: hit you in the gut or something, <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> welcome to Comics Monthly Monday number 55. I, I was trying to pull a Chris Honeywell and it just didn't work. I cracked myself up. I, of course, am Scott Gardner, joined as always by Chris Honeywell. It's a hip. <laughs> and welcome back to the show. Or were you here last time, Mike? I can't remember. No, I no, I wasn't here last. No, time. you were not here last. time. I'm sorry. I'm getting confused. Like I told you before we got You're started, I'm getting I was, old and
3: senile. Oh, well, I am happening. getting.
0: Yes, that's what's happening. That is actually what is really happening. But no, I was listening to to Back to the Bins today, and I guess I got confused there. For we get confused for a minute.
4: Where am I? How is this different from really any other time? Right? <laughs> yeah, this is very true. Oh, stop it. <laughs>
0: So, comic books. That's what we're going to be talking about. Comic books. So what's new for you? What have you been well, up to,
4: Mike? Well, um, its it's been a—it's up until a couple of weeks ago. It's been a quiet couple of months. I really wasn't buying anything because I was uh, saving up for Dragon Con. I was also selling a bunch of books on eBay, which was an interesting experience because sometimes you sell stuff and you don't think you're going to get anything for it. And suddenly the bidding war erupts. There was a, uh, I think I mentioned this on, on one of the other shows we all did together. It may have been just one of the times we were just sitting around talking, but I saw the first appearance of Deadpool for like more money than I thought anybody would ever pay for it. <laughs> and I'd like to thank Joshua Lapp and Bertone for being the one to finally buy it at $86. Wow. So it's just like, holy crap. And the first appearance of Cable went pretty well. The the funniest one is I sold all of my uh, amazing Spider-Mans from the past couple of years that I had. And I had from, like, the middle of the JMS run all the way up to what was that event called? It was was, was from last year. And I, I, I split it into lots, and I threw a pretty low opening bid on it because I'm like, no one's going to pay for any of these. You know, Brand New Day was so horribly received. And, you know, the back issue market just is terrible. No one's going to buy these. And they ended up going for much more than I thought they were going to. And I have uh, the eBay app on my phone. So when uh, somebody bids on something that I have put up, I get a little message and it creates, it does this little brim sound, I'm like you know, I'm like just to let me know. And right as the auctions were ending, I was going through a bunch of other books to sell and I was listening to Hey Kids Comics and was constantly being interrupted. But It was, it was like a war was going on with this stuff. It was like, brim, 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 like over and over and over. Is
3: it a little cash register to ching sound? That would That's be That's awesome. when it finally sells. When oh, It finally okay. sells,
4: it does that. So. I made out like a bandit, managed to pay for the hotel room and all of our food and stuff just by selling comics, which was great. Dragon Con was a lot of fun. Uh, It was probably the most low-key Dragon Con I've ever done because I'm still... I realized in the middle of of Con that I'm still kind of mentally getting over everything that's happened this year uh, with Rachel and my wife being in an accident and stuff. But... I went to a 40th anniversary of the Super Friends panel where Van Allen Plexico, who's been a guest on one of my other shows and has done for years, the DC versus Marvel Jeopardy at, at Dragon Con. And is also an author. He writes the Sentinel series, which is a prose series of superhero adventures of a group called the Sentinels that has a rip. Think like, Mid to mid, late '70s, early '80s era Avengers type stories, but with his own heroes. It's a really good series. I think you would like it. did of he would like it? Didn't he write a,
0: an Avengers, some sort of Avengers guidebook or something like that?
4: He well he he he's run AvengersAssemble dot net for like seventeen mm. years now. Okay. And they put out two books of essays on the Avengers. Uh, assembled volume one and assembled volume two. And they're working on volume three. But uh, he also did an Avengers from page to screen panel with a bunch of other guys. Most interesting thing about that panel one was the woman in the back that got really angry at one point because the panelists Van and the other guys, there was an artist from Marvel. There was a guy who owns a comic book shop and a bunch of other fans and such that were all basically talking about the fact that the movies don't really follow the comics all that much. And they weren't saying it like they're evil for doing this. They were commenting on the fact that this is is how it is. And Van was very upset about how the Mandarin was handled in Iron Man 3, because he thought it was completely disrespectful to the fans of that character that they treated him in that way. And this woman stands up and starts going, you know, I, you know, you guys are making the same mistake that the fans of the hun- Hunger Games and the fans of the Twilight books made of wanting it to be slavish to the source material. And everybody on the panel starts kind of shaking their head like that's not what we were talking about. And I hear, don't shake your head. That's exactly what you were doing. And I'm like, is a fight about oh, to break wow.
3: out?
4: Wow. <laughs> we're just like, this is a friendly panel, lady. I mean, that's it's not just, what they were talking
3: about. That. That's what she was talking about. God damn it. <laughs> so, Wow so and,
4: and I had a really great talk with the guy that ran the comic shop because he was saying how with the Marvel movies doing so well, he has seen a greater influx of women coming into the shop to buy comics. And my question for him was, are they buying trades or are they actually you know are they getting into single issues? He goes, a lot of them start with trades. And then they start buying the single issues. And he goes, and he he followed that with, and we do a lot of business with the digital because they come into the shop, they pay me for the digital code, they get the book from wherever, I win, the artists win, and the reader wins. You know, everybody wins in that case. And he goes, more shops need to embrace this and more people that buy digital comics need to go to their shop to get it because that'll just keep... Comic shops in existence, and it was something I had never ever thought about. You know, I, I you know, I. I sadly, I, I've always been of the opinion that the comic shop, as we know it, is is an endangered species. It's not going to disappear tomorrow, but with digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude. Sorry, I had to say that.
3: <laughs> One he's gonna rude. he's gonna love Another you for that. Awesome.
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he will. Uh, Hi Andy. But um the but with with all of that with, with everything going digital and Scott is a prime example of this. He got a tablet and now he reads books. Do you buy books almost exclusively digital now or right. do you still completely exclusively? Yes. With that, it's just like where where does the specialty shop go because special, specialty shops, comic shops don't stay open because of back issues. And they don't stay open because of trade paperbacks. I'm sure there are shops that have a brisk business in that type of stuff, but what keeps the doors open and what keeps customers constantly coming in uh, to make purchases is the new issues. So, the way he was saying it, he you know, it it just opened my eyes to the idea of when I do get a tablet and do start buying certain books uh, digitally. I'll probably be going to my comic shop to do that. That way I'm keeping, you know, helping him stay in business, getting my books, and everyone's happy. So, that, it was just, that like, that, the panel was interesting. The conversation I had afterwards was even more interesting. So that was a lot of fun. The Super friend Friends panel was, was, uh, was a lot of fun as well. Uh, the, the, the geeky thing that happened right before the panel is one of the guys that was on the panel, whose name escapes me, took out uh, his laptop and he has a blue snowball microphone like I do, but it had this weird, like evil Lynn headdress on it. And I walked up to him. And I'm like, excuse me, sir, you have a blue snowball microphone. What is that around it? He goes, Oh, it's a sound dampener. It's like, how much is that thing? He's like, it's only like 40 bucks. I'm like, I will be looking into this <laughs> just to make every hand, you know, just so I can sound better on the shows I'm on. So, but it was a lot of fun mainly because you had a group of people. One, the, the, sci-fi, the American Sci Fi Classics track, which I will pimp out heavily because the guys running it were fantastic. Great group. I mean, when I walked into that Super Friends panel, a mini panel had broken out between the last one and the one I was going to, where it was basically minions versus, versus apes. And they had like basically a tournament where people would call out different ape characters and different minion characters, and you would get the apes to fight it out, the minions to fight it out, and then finally the minions versus apes. And I think it ended up being Grape Ape versus Enos from the Dukes of Hazard. Ooh. And <laughs> it was just funny as hell. But the the guys that, that were running the track are part of the Revolution Science Fiction uh, network, they have a website, they have a podcast, and you guys are going to love the name of one of this dudes. His name is Gary Mitchell. Ah. Ah. <laughs> I was just like, so, how? he goes, my parents didn't know what they were doing. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. But Gary and the other dude, whose name escapes me now, and I feel really bad about that, they were really nice. Charlie gnarly. X? They, they put together a... The, the what? Charlie X?
3: Charlie X.
5: <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> no, I, I think it was mud, uh, but um,
5: yeah.
4: but no, they, uh, they put together a really, like, they really engaged the people on the panel, and it was their second year doing the track, and it had grown because DragonCon now has an app for your iPhone or your Android device and you actually can rate specific panels and tell the people running the panels what you would like to see next year. And based on that, DragonCon will give them more space if they needed to because they were in a larger area. They had posters all around the room, but the two main posters they had up, and I think you guys have seen this, it's two pieces of art of basically the heroes of the 70s where you have, like, the greatest American hero and the Hulk and the $6 million man... And like all the, and like a, like Battlestar Galactica, all like it was separated into two. On the other one, you had Mentor and Billy Batson and Shazam. Yes. And yeah. Winnebago. Have you guys seen that?
0: Yeah. It, has, it had so all two those, in it and everything. Yeah. I thought that was yeah. awesome. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah.
4: So they did the Super Friends one, which was a lot of fun because you really got the sense from talking to these people and listening to the people in the audience that a lot of our generation's love for the DC characters comes from the super friends. And we, and they talked about the comic book series. They talked about the superpowers uh, line and all that. It was just a great panel. They also did a uh, panel that was called truly outrageous. The the, 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 the girls of science fiction, which actually was this really great panel about female characters and heroes from, you know, science fiction from the seventies and eighties. And the last one I went to, what was that? I went to another panel. I'm just trying to remember. It's, it's been a long freaking week, and Dragon Con, unfortunately, is fast uh, erasing from my mind. But no, it was, um, outside of that, I really didn't do all that much. I went to some panels with my wife and got to see some people we don't normally see uh, we you know we, we only see at Dragon Con basically sadly Shag wasn't there this year so that was that was kind of sad because usually he and I get together to record while we're at Dragon Con it's always uh, it's always a fun time but my favorite moment was the one guy that I got to sign something for me in artist Sally this year and that was Jimmy Palmiotti who's an amazing guy in general, I've spoken to him in years past. I know Scott has as well. Just one of the most engaging people you will meet at a convention because he's really excited to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And I had him sign the my first ten issues of Hardware, which was a milestone book he was the inker on. But I also brought because I thought it'd be kind of funny to get it signed. Milestone had a trading card set, and you could and one of the little. You know, outside of like covering all the characters and the, the people in, you know, the, uh, of the Milestone Universe, they also had a really fun uh, uh, thing with the artists. So you had, you know, like a Dwayne McDuffie card and a Dennis Callan card and a Jimmy Palmiotti card. So I brought it to him and he took it and he signed it. He goes, let me tell you a story about this card. And I knew, okay, this is the moment. This is the thing I'll be talking about on Comic Monthly Monday. He goes, Ebony Magazine did an article on Milestone Comics right around the time this trading card set came out. And Ebony Magazine wrapped the issue in plastic and included a Milestone trading card with every issue. They randomly chose a card to put in there. And he held up the card again. He goes, this was the card. That they included in Ebony magazine, the white guy, and he and apparently he said Dennis Cowan was, comp- yeah, exactly. I laughed out loud. It was it was just it's, that's when I go to conventions. Those are the stories I want to hear. I, right. You know, it's 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 great to hear. You know, well, how I came up with this character, or how this series came about, or you know, this is the long road that took us to get to this storyline. But just hearing those like little little mini stories just it just makes the convention for me my other big takeaway from Dragon Con really had nothing to do with comics at all but it had to do with the movie Red Dawn the original Red Dawn with Patrick Swayze and C. Thomas Howell and Leah Thompson one of the one of the days I, I wasn't feeling too good because Dragon Con is getting more getting bigger and bigger every year there were fifty seven thousand clocked attendees this year. Wow. Officially. So one day I was just like, the crowds are too much. I'm just going back to the hotel room. And I watched Red Dawn because it was on Encore. And something occurred to me while I was watching Red Dawn. This is a terrible movie. I was just gonna
5: say oh, it's crap, it but I didn't want—I
4: didn't know how you, it's, what regard you held
0: it in, so I didn't want to be insulting. But yeah, no. that's what I was—I was just thinking it's to myself. A, something struck me. Yeah, this is crap. <laughs> it's a
3: crap movie. But for the time when it was released, it was a fine piece of entertainment of math um, and um, Yeah. It, it,
5: hmm. Well, it
3: it it pushed the right buttons in people because that movie. It wasn't expected to be a hit, and it was huge. I'm surprised there was never a Red Dawn 2, Electric Boogaloo. But, what, but
4: the thing about Red Dawn is, the, I think what people fondly remember is C. Thomas Howe yelling Wolverines. Right. I think, I think that's the big, because every time you, because I had posted it on Facebook, and, and people kept, like, commenting back, Wolverines! So, right. But, yeah, I was just watching, and it was just like, I liked this when I was a kid. and. Mm-hmm. Yes, I liked a lot of crap when I was a kid, but <laughs> the action scenes are awful. Yeah. They're just terrible. And, and, and like a thousand people who love this film are now switching off their iPhones and Android devices and stuff. But no, seriously. It's, mm. <laughs> no, Red it's. Poorly,
3: it's poorly made. It's like very 80s style filmmaking, like boilerplate filmmaking. It's got a few. You know, iconically nicely shot, mo- like the scene with the kids in the school and the parachutes oh, coming yeah. down in the in the schoolyard is is you know and that uh, that of course is the one they showed on all the ads and all the previews or you know when they but oh yeah it got horrible reviews when it came out too but I think for teenagers at the time the idea of having to become freedom fighters. You know, and and beating the Ruskies. At, you know this uh, Rocky Three was out around well, it was the same time. Well, was like the time, Breakfast you know. Club
0: goes to war or something. I mean, exactly. cause didn't they have <laughs> all those same kids from from that era? You know, the Brat Pack or whatever the hell they called them. I at don't the know time? if it
3: had I, it had a couple Brat Pack actors or oh. those kinds of a- actors in it. But those I mean, kinds of actors, yeah, yeah not necessarily yeah, right, the people, right. but yeah, yeah. Right, if they I mean, were if they were around now, they would have been in the '90s. They would have been on Buffy or something like that. You know, that basically, right, yeah, the
5: exactly, teen,
3: teen actors, the pretty, yeah. pretty teen actors. But I mean, when you were a kid, you know that that would I I could see that you know, appealing to you. You know that 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 storyline, that narrative. The
4: uh, my other comment, my my final comment about Dragon Con really, is they they. Usually, when you go to DragonCon, the dealer's room is in the bottom of the Marriott.
5: Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: Marriott has, like, four levels dedicated to the con. Is this going to on... be a
3: con-funk rant again?
6: <laughs> hey, everyone. Faithful friend and acolyte of the two true freaks and gallant co-host of the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Hair Metal Hero here. Are you like me? Well... Obviously you aren't as awesome as me and my mellifluous singing voice, but that's forgivable. Moving on, do you like to attend cons? Of course you do. I mean, I don't. But that's only because if I want to be seriously depressed and grossed out, I just stand naked in front of a full-length mirror, ladies, call me. But if you do attend cons, you know what the biggest downside is? No. It's not the registration line, or the mobs of people, or the insane markup on bootlegs of the Star Wars Holiday Special. It's the dreaded con-funk. Yeah, that's right. It's that one-of-a-kind pungent aroma that smells like stale piss, rotten Doritos, and days upon days of mouth-breathing, eyeball-licking, basement-dwelling nerd B.O. Well, I'm here to tell you that help is on the way from none other than all the hard-working scientists here at Monzo Corp Advanced Olfactory Labs, deep below the bowels of Milan, Italy. Dufo has graciously provided a sizable grant for scent research in the brave hope that one day he can finally attend a big show, incognito of course, without having to continuously wretch and gasp. And let me tell you folks, this shit works. What is it you ask? Why, it's none other than con-funk soap. Yes, that's right. Con-funk soap contains copious amounts of bleach, rose petal extract, and the dried-up essence of the tears of the unborn. That's, That's where the, the power, power lies. lies. It's guaranteed to make the average con-goer who smells like a flowering anus go from repugnant to tolerable. Just slather it on and let it soak in, rinse, and repeat. Don't forget to get your grundles and foopas some extra attention. Hey, no one is saying don't attend the cons, but now you don't have to smell like you do. That's Con Funk Soap, another fine product from Demanzicor. Con Soap, it's the least you can do.
3: Demanzo Corp of Milan, Italy, takes no legal responsibility for allergic reaction to baby tears.
4: ConFunk wasn't as bad this year, but they cranked the AC so low in most of the areas
3: <laughs> that uh, dying instantly.
4: <laughs> from what I understand, and, and I and I can't say this for sure because I, I I can't say that, but the gaming area where people just go and game for four straight days, apparently they keep that at like. Thirty-five
3: degrees <laughs> at all time. Yeah, I've heard it's I've a meat locker. Yeah. I've heard they started putting carpeting in there, made of the same thing as those uh, pine tree air fresheners in cars. <laughs> <laughs> made in Watertown, the New York, dealers, baby. Uh, yeah.
4: Usually the uh, the dealer's room is at the very bottom, and then a level above that they have what is called an exhibitors hall, which is kind of like an upscale dealer's room. They moved all of that to something called the America's Mart, which is this building right near all the hotels and Peachtree Street, Atlanta, like middle of the city. That opened up to exhibit America's Mart.
0: <laughs> that just sounds like a commercial. America's Mart. For all your merch,
4: And it was two levels. <laughs> and it was, and I know we're not trying to swear, but i'm going to i'm going to drop this in there Go ahead. it was a cluster of biblical of proportions <laughs> because not only did they not have people controlling the flow of traffic but they just randomly stuck things in areas it wasn't very well organized in the middle of it they had like a food vendor area which is yeah that's what you want you want somebody yeah, because fans are notoriously neat and tidy with their sure. food.
3: <laughs> sure, they're picking up that artifact from the Empire Strikes Back right after eating their Bloomin' Onion. <laughs> so, yeah.
4: if you're thinking of going to DragonCon and you've never been to DragonCon, and you're going for all four days, avoid the dealer's room on Saturday, because it's, it's the heaviest traffic day of the con. It's where everybody who's only going for the one day goes. Right. I swear to God, I almost had a panic attack in the middle of this thing because we were all crushed together and traffic wasn't moving. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, holy, why don't you have somebody directing traffic here? And the dealers really weren't helping because they would let people just stop dead in front of their booth instead of pulling them closer. And it was just, it was just, uh, it was, it was, it was insane. Sunday and Monday was better. And I managed to snag, at this one dealer the essential superman encyclopedia that came out a couple of years ago for $5 wow so that was uh and and Scott if you don't have this get it cuz you'd love it because it's a McGinnis cover, cover on it by, uh, no it doesn't
5: who who's uh, the cover it, on it it
4: was written uh it's i i don't know who the artist name is i don't it's not instantly recognizable in it, the room is it one, one of those written, by?
0: uh white like oversized coffee table size books is that or am i thinking of a different it's
4: a larger book it's got a it's got a blue cover with superman on it written by robert greenberger and martin pascal hmm so and they cover everything they mention earth 2 superman they mention earth 1 pre crisis post crisis post infinite crisis it's not like the, the the entries aren't like super long, but as I was leafing through it, they really pay homage to the the entire history of Superman and these characters. So I, I I cannot recommend this book enough, but the fact that I picked it up for $5 was just, just kind of a bonus. I knew I was going to get it eventually. I was just waiting it for it to be cheap and huzzah. So, but no, Dragon Con was a lot of fun. I'm excited about going next year. And we're getting to the to the time where you book your hotel, which is kind of like almost like buying tickets to Comic Con, right? Because holy, you you have to get there on the day or it's sold out in like seconds. So wow, but oh that, that's God. pretty. That was that was the that was the extension of my uh, big comic stuff. What do you guys got?
3: Um, I picked up three comics at a garage sale.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> What'd you get? I got, it was actually, I picked up, I was at this one place, and I bought a big box of swizzle sticks for 10 bucks, and then there were these three yearbooks in another, like, plastic, nice plastic bin, you know, that you would get, like, a Kmart or whatever, with a whole bunch of magazines and, you know, like, assorted ephemera in plastic, you know, ads and stuff. And the guy's like, tell you what, I'll sell you this whole box full of stuff for five bucks. And I said, okay. So I got that with the yearbooks in it and the um, swizzle sticks. But uh, when I was going through the, the um, magazines, I found three Marvel comics. Um, two issues of The Thing. <laughs> Lucky me. Issues 31 and 33. And a Wolverine comic, Wolverine 116, I don't know what iteration of Wolverine it is, but it's pretty interesting, I was reading it, and it's like the new, like, it's 90s style, but there's definitely scenes of him, like, in between life and death talking to Jean Grey that they definitely, uh, must have, uh, you know, glommed onto for the Wolverine movie because they were almost lifted right out of this comic. Hmm. And what else? Oh, and last last time I went garage sailing, I got the movie adaptation of The Fox and the Hound. Really? I didn't know there awesome. was one. I didn't. I, I. you know, I vaguely remember seeing it when I was a kid. After seeing, you know, this one sort of bumped my memory. It's a comics it's, adaptation of it? It's a comics adaptation of it. By it's which company? very... Let's see if I have it within... I have it right here. Dell? It's uh, d- th- the sa- golden.
0: Yeah, I was going like to say, I don't think Dell was still publishing at that time, because that movie came out about... Bandwidth- what, it had to be like about... No, the it's the not that late, is it? Fox and the Hound is what? in the, I the 80s? I guess, I um, guess you could be- I thought that was the 70s I think that's a late 70s, I think.
3: Copyright 1981 says this, but that doesn't mean that the movie came out in 1981.
0: Right, right.
3: Especially with this kind of thing, because these things are notoriously reprinted a million times. It looks like a coloring book. You know what I mean? That's
4: interesting, because I always kind of lump the fox and the hound with, like, the the classic disney films like peter pan and cinderella and all that oh no, that's I, I i i didn't realize i didn't realize it came into that 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 gray area between oh yeah you know of the 70s and 80s before they did the little mermaid and everything was golden again all it's a
0: 1980 yeah it's much later than i thought it was yeah 1981 huh yeah i knew that that and was it's... Definitely a post-Walt film. You know, it was done way after Walt. But I was thinking mm-hmm. it was right around the time of, uh, say, like the Black Cauldron which I th- yeah, and, and and Robin Hood. Robin Hood. Yeah. Bird- was early early to mid seventies, and then like Black Cauldron, I want to say was like around the time of Star Wars. It was like seventy six, seventy seven, something like that. So I thought Fox and the Hound was in that era. I, I should know this stuff, but w- once you get past uh, Jungle Book, they all kind of start getting fuzzy on dates for me as as far as exactly where they are. I'm good with all the ones like during Walt's lifetime. Beyond that point, they all kind of blur together for me date wise. So. Huh, yeah.
3: it's it's weird. It's uh it's in that Disney style, you know, that cartoony style. Mm-hmm. But it's very, I don't want to say sketched out, but there's not much detail to it, and there's really not much detail as far as backgrounds go for the most part. Most of it's you know just the main action going on a colored background. Right, right. So it's it's weird. It's I don't want to say it's half-assed, but it's a little you know. It's not, say, Carl Barks like Right. Disney. Yeah. It's a, it's a later time period.
2: That, it's almost uh, like
3: a, it's like a trade paperback mixed with a, with a um, coloring book.
4: Going back to that, that was never one of my favorite Disney films.
0: You know, it's funny. My my wife says the same thing. She doesn't seem to like that one either. I've seen it once or twice. I thought it was okay. But what was funny is when I was working at Media Play in Georgia, you know, the one down in Morrow. Man, I mean, it's like everybody that ever came in asking about a Disney movie. It was either that one or Song of the South that everybody was looking for. I I guess because it's set in the South. So, you know, it, it you know Southerners had an affinity for that, mm-hmm. you know, for those particular movies. But, yeah, because I'm not sure that I'd ever heard of it prior to that, prior to everybody kept asking about it all. Fox and the Hound, I was like, hmm, I don't know that one, you know. It was just one that I had missed, I guess, as a kid. But uh, it, it's a cute little movie, but it, it's in that... Again, you know, it's in that in-between period of when I wasn't really paying attention to anything Disney as a kid, right. you know. And it and it's in that I don't want to say lazy art style, but you know, just the Disney classics had a period there where the where the art just it was closer to Saturday morning than it was to like the mm-hmm. 40s classics. You know what I mean? That that yeah. beautiful rich art style that you would see like like in the classic Disney's or like no, you can the, the, see the amount of money Meisters they put. Or, yeah, exactly. And it's called Time and Money,
4: but uh, but it's well, not, it's funny a, because it's a, the movies a, in that time period are they're so hit and miss. Though I mean, oh, yeah. for you know, Fox and the Hound, I really don't care for. I'm not a huge fan of the Black Cauldron, but I love the Great Mouse Detective. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just. So and, and, and I never really got into the rescuers either, though everyone tells me that I need to rewatch them and how amazing they are.
3: I heard the rescuers so. is pretty good, but the rescuers down under is great. That's what I yeah, hear.
0: That's how I feel about it is I, I'd always liked Rescuers Down Under. I'm actually a huge fan of that movie. And uh, the villain in that one's my personal favorite Disney villain, I think, because he, he's just so over the tides. George C. Scott. I mean, how can you not love him, you know? Oh, geez. He, yeah. he's, he's fantastic in that because he's just pure rotten, you know? But uh, I, I didn't think much of the original Rescuers, but when Logan was really little, he really uh, got attached to that movie. So one day, because he wanted to watch it, I sat down and watched it with him, and I liked it a lot better the second time around. But, again, it is in that that period where they were doing that process. I think it's called rotoscoping. I may be confusing. Where they draw over or something. Yeah, draw over, yeah. Yeah, Rotoscoping. Yeah, and I just – I'm not a fan of that because it looks – Lazy. It it does look lazy. It looks like – well, I mean, Disney always used
3: model work.
0: They always did.
3: I mean, if you're, Right, but okay, that's just uh, like figure out how to do the animation.
0: Exactly. In, in, in so this. it looked like
3: a test when you saw him exactly. doing it in real life on the screen, if that makes any sense. Because there's footage
0: out there of some of their movies. I know Peter Pan's a classic example where they shot the entire movie live action, and then they went back and animated. Mm-hmm. They didn't animate over top of it for the most part. They just used that as a guide to follow. Whereas later on, you get films like, um, you know, like, uh, well, all those ones in the 70s periods, you know, you had... Uh, Ralph
3: Basque was, was infamous for doing it, like Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings was full yeah. of it.
0: Yeah, and, but you know, you get like, uh, I know 101 Dalmatians is a perfect example of it, to where it is just drawing over the, the live action film, and it... Does look really? It looks lazy, but also it, it has an unfinished look. It's it's like publishing a comic that's just the pencils. That's what it looks like. to Yeah, it's like it's not inked, and I I never was a fan of that art style. It, it looks rushed and lazy to me, and I I've just I, I much more prefer the art style of the early early classics.
3: It's and, a cheat, know. I think. Yeah. It's a cheat because with animation you're you're using your art to not always, you know, and Disney's Disney was more realistic than say some animation, but at the same time they were also exaggerated and stuff. Right. So you were using it to pre- represent real life. So sometimes you would want it really realistic, sometimes you wouldn't. But when you do that trace over thing, it's almost too real. It's almost like CG sometimes. Yeah. What it happens, I can't remember what they call that um, um effect that it is in your brain of something where it has to reach that point to where your brain will will you know see it as being real you know right and you know c g people that's why c g people always no matter how much detail they've gotten so far they're always something. There's always something that's just not right about it that your eye catches unconsciously, right. and it's the same yeah. thing about that. Yeah, it's that's it's true. it's just too real and it looks out of place with the stuff that's actually animated. I hate it. I hate it. If you want to do the whole movie rotoscoped, okay, then it'll all fit in its own little framework. But. Right. <clears throat> Pardon me. I had to bring up an
0: image here. I was curious about that issue of Wolverine you talked about, because strangely, for me, not being much of a fan of comic book Wolverine... You have that one? I I have amassed a a big old collection of Wolverine comics, just, you know, again, through osmosis, just buying collections, and Mm -hmm. the stuff winds up in my long boxes. I actually have that issue. I have a a run from right around that time. That was part of uh, Zero Tolerance, where... I forget the exact storyline that was going on, but this was around the time where the adamantium had been extracted from Wolverine by Magneto, and so he was much more feral and everything. But I'm looking at this, and the credits on it is uh, Larry Hama and then uh, Lionel Yu. I think this is uh, when Lionel Yu was first starting out. and When I first discovered him, I thought his art was fantastic.
3: Well, this might be a different uh, comic, because that doesn't match up with who I got. You said 116? I said 176.
0: Oh, one, Maybe I'm I said sorry. One, six. I thought Maybe you said, I said 116.
3: 116. Not, it sort not. of looks like 116. I might have said that, actually. No, I don't
0: have uh, 176. I don't know which one that is. I don't go that far. That's oh, well. what she said. <laughs> there you go. Save the segment. <laughs> Thank you.
3: And the thing said, went... That's what she
4: said, Joe? Yeah, <laughs> I <same> know. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not.
3: wondering if the mic just picked up the sound of the comic sliding back into the into its bag, though. <laughs> I was going to say, man, the thing
0: went 30-something issues, but then I'm looking at my own. Yeah, I have up to issue 36, which I think might be the last issue. It's actually a burn cover on that one, I think. I'd so forgotten
4: the, that. That's, oh, that was a, was a, a good series.
3: He's oh. wrestling by the time, in this one. Yeah. they they're almost like farcical when I was looking, when, you know, as I was looking through them.
4: I would really recommend the first ten issues of the Thing series, though.
3: It, Byrne wrote most
4: of those with, uh, who did the art? Ron Wilson. Somebody, yeah. yeah, Ron Wilson, and it's a fantastic run of comics. It really is. I love it.
0: I'm going to have to There's try it a- again cuz I've got almost a complete collection of that and I don't remember liking that at all when I was a kid but I think it was largely for the art so I might have to give that a try again sometime. And- it was the art.
3: Yeah. No, that's what that's what turned me off when I was a kid. This one 31 has a great cover. It's sort of a Jack Kirby style of a thing with a spear held aloft and this girl in a black bodysuit with big black bouffant hair holding onto his leg and Devil Dinosaur behind him. And it said, would you believe a <laughs> Dinosaur is a movie?
4: Yeah, I there think the nothing art... of what you just said that wasn't awesome.
0: <laughs> so I think the art was largely my problem with that one, because you start right out, issue one just sets you up for disappointment, or set me up for disappointment as a kid because it's got that awesome cover by Byrne where it's just the thing and he's standing with all that rubble behind him and everything. It's just an awesome cover of him with his, you know, fist up raised and you know first issue collector's item and then you go inside and it's and then you open Bus- it up. who I don't mean to slight cuz I liked his work on 2 in 1 but I don't know, it just it didn't work for me as well, but like I say it it's been god, how old is that book? That book's got to be 30 years old easy. So maybe I need to
3: Dig it out and try it mm-hmm. again. It's been
0: a long
3: time. I used to really like two and one. That's right. I forgot about that. I <laughs> forgot. I, the in that.
0: I love two and one. We and were talking. There their, their,
4: hmm? Say what Mike? There was their X-rated line. Marvel two. I said there was their X-rated line. Marvel
0: two on one. Two on one. Uh, yeah.
4: Wasn't that? I think that's the two
0: first <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the first issue where there is actually a misprint on the cover that says two-on-one instead of two-in-one. I'm, I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not well, two-in-one
4: works just as well. All
0: right. I think it is, though. Let me see. I've got it here somewhere. Give me just a second to find that. Because I, I think I learned about that in... Uh, do you remember the Marvel... What was it the Marvel No Prize book, I think? Uh-huh. Where they had all those flubs in there, like famous flubs. Yep.
3: Yeah. Damn, I can Miller Street person with two left feet. Two left
0: feet, yeah. It sure is. If you look at Marvel two in two in one number one, it's the thing and the man thing, monster versus monster, while a world trembles. There's that strip at the top, that black strip that says Marvel Comics Group, and just to the left of that, above the twenty cent twenty cents price. God It says Marvel
3: 2-on-1 instead of 2-in-1. There's nothing about that cover that isn't gay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Moving on. Moving on. Well, let's see. For me, it, uh, it occurred to me yesterday... That, uh, you know, it was my day off and everything, and I was sitting down, I was going to resume my read-through, I'm reading through uh, uh, the Star Wars Legacy of the Force series right now, so I have not been reading any comics, but it occurred to me, <gasps> we're recording Comics Monthly Monday, I need to have something to talk about. So I loaded up my iPad with uh, with all my latest comic book uh, acquisitions as far as new stuff, and, uh, and got all caught up, or mostly caught up, on the stuff that uh, I'm into these days. And uh man, I'm I'm digging it. There's some really really good comics coming out these days. But it's weird because a lot of it, well, one of the books I can't talk about until later in the show. We're going to actually discuss that one a little bit. Talked about Guardians of the Galaxy last month. I got caught up on Guardians of the Galaxy. I've been kind of slow to warm to the latest incarnation of that because I was a big fan of The Last Incarnation, and this one's slightly different, almost like they had a a mild reboot or something, and I wasn't really feeling it. I was like, what happened here? It felt like there was a serious disconnect. But at the end of the last issue that I just read, it seems like maybe they're going to be addressing that in the near future, like what happened, and so I'm looking forward to that. I think that book is, uh, is really, really good. And another book that I just got caught up on, I think, is going to be our Get Chris to Read a Goddamn Superhero Comic for next month. So I can't talk about it. So really, the only other one to talk about at the moment is uh, The Bionic Man from Dynamite Comics, which you may or may not recall uh, Andy Leland and I, uh, Andy Leyland of Hey Kids Comics, we did a show on that way back. It's been a long time now. It's probably... It's got to be a year and a half easy. We did, I think we did like the first six issues or something of that series. We were really, really excited
3: for it. We really thought it was fantastic. Wasn't that like, wasn't that Kevin Smith was doing it then? Yeah, Kevin Smith. Yeah. Is he done with that now though. He's yeah. probably done with that by he now, right? First... He's never last long.
0: No, he did the first. I don't even think it was a full twelve issues. I want to say it was the first ten issues. I think something like that. But it was a complete story. It from from the rumors I've heard, and I and I believe this is true. It was essentially his pitch for a movie, for a, for a six million dollar man movie or bionic man movie. They're, they're calling him. They don't call him the six million dollar man anymore. Now they call him the bionic man. Yeah, and, six
3: million dollars would be kind of cheap. <laughs> well, they,
0: yeah, they they make that joke in the series too, which I thought was really you know it was funny, and it, but it was apt as well. You know, yeah, six million dollars doesn't doesn't go near as far anymore. And I thought his run was fantastic. It really set the tone and it set the template for the series. But I was a little bit nervous what was going to happen as soon as Smith left. I, I really figured that the book wasn't going to last long because for one, you know, he was the the big draw to get a lot of people to read the book in the first place. Plus, as soon as he left, the artist who I can't remember at the uh, right at the moment who was doing the art but the art was fantastic and the artist bailed as well so they went uh, you know they went under uh, a huge uh you know change of the creative team and then they made what i felt was just this was going to be the mistake that was going to kill the book almost immediately after the end of smith's run they did bionic bigfoot and i thought really you know for one thing it's way too soon to do a story like that if you're going to do that story at all but my my big thought was why why would you do that story other than there's only so many stories Just that are kind fan of, service yeah exactly there there's only so many stories that are out there as kind of classic 6 million dollar man stories you know that that Everybody that remembers the series remembers one or two different episodes. And it's usually like the pilot era episodes. And then it's Bionic Bigfoot. Everybody remembers that. And so they did that story. And it's not like it was bad. It wasn't horrible. The art wasn't very good, I'll be honest. But the story was it was serviceable. But I really thought, well, that'll be it. And, uh, and I, was, uh, I messaged uh, Andy the other night and was like, have you continued to read that book? And he said, yeah, I read it through issue. I think he said like 21 or something, and then I dropped it. So I was curious yesterday to, you know, to sit down and get caught up on it and see what I would think and, and you know, why had he bailed on it and everything. And I was surprised that once you get past the Bionic Bigfoot story, I think it's still a pretty solid book. It's not quite as good as it was under Smith. But then at the same rate, a lot of the, uh, the Smith-isms, it, as far as dialogue and such, have, have really settled down. Because his dialogue, sometimes it can be really witty, it can be really sharp. And then other times it can it be can really be awkward. Yeah. yeah. And I, there were a lot, there was a lot of his run, as much as I enjoyed it, there was a lot of it that I found more annoying than witty. So the dialogue has settled down quite a bit. And uh, and I find it to be a really enjoyable book because it's it's a lot like the old TV show in the sense of, you know, he's a secret agent. He's he's uh, basically he's a super powered secret agent, but they have really gone whole hog with the whole bionic thing to where they I think they acknowledge the cheesier elements of the TV show. And so they tried to address those. So rather mm-hmm. than it being a guy that was all busted up and he's got, you know, so he's got a replacement arm here and a replacement leg there and a replacement eye here. He's essentially entirely bionic. They, they just went, you know, they went there instead of being, you know, having him be a piecemeal man. He, he's essentially he's like robot man now. You know, he's yes. entirely bionic, but yes. with a, he still has a human brain, essentially. And I thought that that was a really fantastic way to go with the series. So on a power level, he's he's pretty much like Golden Age Superman power level to where he can leap great distances, he's super fast, he's super strong. But, you know, he's not ridiculously so. He can't fly, you know, he can't topple buildings, but he's he's pretty heavy duty in a fight and he can throw cars around, that sort of so that kind of power level. And I always find that power level a little more relatable in comics anyway. It's a little more exciting somehow because there's a danger factor there. Right. And uh, and I'm really digging it. I, I think it's a really solid book. It's got to so be
3: better I, than the Charlton. Yeah, it, it's, it's a, a lot.
0: Yeah.
4: One of the great lost back to the bins was uh, the one we never recorded where we were going to do that. Six million dollar man comic that was just awful. We should still do
0: that sometime, just as a compare and contrast. That would be fun because yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> the only the only redeeming quality for some of those Charltons was some of the art was nice, you know, because they did get they got Neil Adams to do some covers, they got Joe Staton to do some interiors. But yeah, the stories when it was stupid. nice, it was nice. But
3: when it wasn't nice, it looked like somebody drew it on a napkin, <laughs> right? And. <laughs>
0: Well, that was the problem with all those old Charlton's anyway.
3: Yeah. Like printing presses were
0: shit, and they weren't made for yeah. comics. But you know, the, the only bad thing with these Bionic Man ones is that the art team is not consistent. So you'll get one issue where the art's really fantastic, and then the next one the art's kind of crappy again, and then back and forth and back and forth. But the, I think the stories have been fairly entertaining. I mean, they, they've they been trying to tell some intelligent stories and dynamite doesn't seem near as hamstrung by. Um, well, I don't think really think the comics codes much in play anymore, but they seem to be writing on a little bit more adult level of their material,
3: and so their stuff. And to- I'm sure they sell most of their comics in shops or by the mail. So right, you know. But they're
0: uh, you know they're, they're they tend to have a little a little bit more. Uh, Realism to them, as far as the level of, uh, you know, the level of violence, the language, that sort of thing. I don't know if realism is the right word, but you know what I mean—a little more grit to them, right? And, uh, and it's not bad. I even picked up and read the. There was a recent miniseries where the there's two series going on. There's Bionic Man and there's Bionic Woman. I don't read Bionic Woman. I picked up the first issue. I never even cracked it open, which was a complete waste of money. Um, But I picked it up at the time because I thought it was going to tie into Bionic Man, and I started reading it, and it was I couldn't tell when it was set because it was really strange because she was in the Bionic Man. She was his girlfriend, but then you start reading the first issue of the Bionic Woman, and and she was already Bionic, and I'm like, what the hell did this story happen? So it was really strange. So I, I gave up on that. I didn't even bother to read it. Plus, I didn't like the art very much. But there was a crossover miniseries. It was, I think, five issues. It was The Bionic Man versus The Bionic Woman. And I read that one last night. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good story. The art was fantastic. And I mean, if you just want to see super people beating the crap out of each other, which is all I wanted, it was really good. It was really a lot of fun. But the problem is, is that, you know, it says right there on the cover. The Bionic Man versus the Bionic Woman. It ran five issues, and their fight consisted of a couple of slaps around of each other for a couple of pages. In I think it was the third or fourth issue, and that was and it. They teamed up, and then they teamed up, and and it was them fighting like the super uber mega model bionic bad dude, which was fun. It was awesome. But it's like, God damn it, this is supposed to be a versus I wanna see these two battling, not them teaming up to battle somebody else. So I felt kinda of gypped by that. It should have been more of a you know, Bionic man meets or bionic man slash bionic woman, you know, something like that. You know, well, some with so a slash comic, Well, so yeah. that would be <laughs> all together. Well that could be fun too. Uh-huh. But uh, it it is a lot of fun. I think you'd get a kick out. You know anybody that's a, that's a fan of the old Six Million Dollar Man show. I think that you would get a kick out of at least the first story arc, anyway, because there were just tons and tons of nods to the original TV series. Down to the point where, when he runs, he makes the na-na-na-na-na sound when he's running because somebody comments. Somebody that's on like the operational backup team comments on it, they're like, Do you hear that sound? And and then they're imitating the sound in a word balloon, which is tough to do, but you understand what it is that they're yeah. referring to, which was really funny. But I, I get a kick out of that. But the only other comics I'm still trying to keep up on is uh The Shadow and Popeye, but I'm way behind on those, so I'm gonna try to get caught up on those in the next uh you know by next show times so maybe I'll be able to report on those a little bit. But still
3: reading Walking Dead?
0: Um, not so much. Oh, I, I will be, but I'm, I'm getting crazy, man. It's it's going to have to crazy, man. I I haven't really so much dropped it as I just kind of lost interest for a bit. And, and now I need to get caught up. The last one I read was the one that kind of sort of half-ass tried to explain
3: Tiger man. And I was just really? Oh no, it's, it's, uh, yeah, the the last, I, I think actually the new issue is probably out because I hear they're trying to put it out like every 25 days or something like that. Wow. And uh, the last one ended in one of those classic, super insane, oh shit moments. All
0: right, now you got me intrigued. I mean, I have to get caught back yep. up. I, I hesitate to, you know, to use the expression jump the shark or nuke the fridge or whatever, but I got to that Tiger Man thing and... You know, I love me my Walking Dead. You know, I, I love the comic. I've I, I know. You know, no, no, I, but I know I had the same thought, but I, I remember that, Michonne. and I was just like, yeah, exactly, like when Michonne showed up, or you know, there's there's or been a number of governor could have been
3: a super villain.
0: Yeah, there's been a number of moments over the long history of that book where I've been like, I don't know about this. But I weathered it, and I stuck with it. But I got to that Tiger Man thing, and I was just like, I don't know what it was. That was a bridge too far. I just got to the, you know, and he's, you know, know, the people are holding court and riding horses and, you know, treating it like it's medieval England or something. And I was just like, I don't know about that. I just didn't, you know, it just kind of lost me somewhere, but. I don't know. I, I've been, I be, have been intending to, to go back and get caught up, so I'm gonna have to do that, I guess. But it, it hasn't been on my uh, list lately. Funny Walking, Funny Walking
4: Dead thing. Uh, I moved stores recently from where I work, uh-huh. and uh, we apparently are where they go to buy all of the office supplies for the production offices of Walking Dead, because well. <laughs> one of the producers comes in three, two or three times a week. Tell him you're
0: not going to sell him another paperclip until you get to have a cameo on the show.
3: Zombie, yeah, that's not hard. That's not hard. I don't want to
4: be that asshole, you know? Nancy,
3: you know that... dude, 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 it's not being an <laughs> asshole. They need Mike, zombies. Mike,
4: Mike,
0: Mike, Mike. They need Mike. zombies. Mike, you forget. I've met you, dude.
3: You're already that asshole. <laughs> so just, you know, just, just go with it, you know? You'll you end up being that asshole shambling around on the TV show. Exactly. Can you imagine how I would be? Oh my god, it would be so awesome to know that like Mike Bailey's episode of Walking Dead was coming up.
4: <laughs> yeah, well then I could I could do what a lot of the other zombies do is get like color copies of me and makeup, and then go to comic shows. There you
3: go, dude. Well, you might you know you might get disemboweled in a very appealing way that makes you yeah a celebrity zombie. Celebrity zombie <laughs> <laughs> if We don't have our own Not that we don't have enough celebrity zombies Out there right now That would
4: be the greatest reality show ever
3: Celebrity zombie It's like Jim Morrison Bring and... back Hollywood squares But call it
0: celebrity zombie That would rule I would love that
3: <laughs> With Elvis as middle square and,
0: <laughs> oh, Charles Nelson Riley zombie, zombie.
3: Yeah, when they get it right, they toss him up a little piece of brain. <laughs> what was her name? And Brett, Paul whatever. Who? Huh? Who did you say,
0: Mike? Paul
5: Paulin. Paul Lynn. <laughs> Paul
0: <Linn>. <laughs> 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 what, what
4: was Give the me one? Give of that brain.
0: The one that sat right next to uh, Charles Nelson Riley. Brett. What was her name? Brett something. I can't remember her Brett name. Butler. Or something Brett, like are, you,
4: are, are you confusing... Hollywood Squares
3: with Match, match game.
0: game, Match Game, yeah. I was talking. What Match Game, Hollywood Squares? It's all the same damn thing. <laughs> You're thinking Charles Nelson Reilly. That's why I said. Didn't I? Didn't I say Charles Nelson? Yes. Riley? Yeah. Oh, Okay. Okay.
4: Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's but that's the,
6: that game.
0: woman he
4: was walking. He was talking about was always on Match Game
5: too.
3: That's what Gene Rayburn, who was the host, who was the human Stop. the human being who looked. The most—he looked like a zombie version. Of, he looked like grown-up Alfred E. Newman and Lurch, like mixed <laughs> together.
5: Kirstie
4: <laughs> Alley was a contestant on that show. Who was before she was any
3: Christie Alley?
4: Kirstie Alley.
0: It's Alley. on
3: YouTube. You can see it on YouTube. I've been—I you know a couple of weeks ago I was watching a bunch of old match games because I used to love those as a kid.
5: I.
0: Love and then those.
3: I realized how could I have loved these as a kid i couldn't get most of these jokes they're so rude and uh, like sex and and alcohol based mm-hmm. what, what's his name uh from uh, we need to
4: have a two true freaks match game that oh needs my to be god
3: well him, uh, the host <laughs> that would be a riot oh my god and then bill robinson put it in his blank oh
4: I like that. <laughs> I think that
0: show had the best music of any game show ever. I love the music.
3: They sure show. got a lot of use out of that wah pedal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did. It was great because it built up... It, it, it was a nice bed of music to hear all the people like making their comments before they... They did it, especially when you knew it was potentially really rude. Betty White White was the rudest of all of them. Shocking.
0: I remember one from way back when I was a kid. One of the questions on there was, the Bionic woman said to the Bionic man, or the $6 million man, it would have been back then, you light up my blank (laughs) because you light up my life. It's like the big song at the time. And I remember the uh, the contestant. It was a woman. Said boobs. And they went around and they. I think they matched just about everybody too. But I'll never forget that. <laughs> it's hysterical. That was, that
3: show was kind of kind of racy for its time. Oh, go on YouTube and watch whole episodes of it, and you'll realize that they couldn't they couldn't run that show now. Mm hmm. You know, they could run it, like, maybe on the, like, game show channel or something late at night. Or they do, because
4: that's where I, that's where I basically where to see it. Are, are, they
3: like- it? Uh, are they still showing it?
4: That I don't know, but that won't be a game show network in, like, three years.
3: So well, that's the funny thing, is if you play old stuff that's racier and pol- less politically correct than what we have now, people, like, the people who report that shit don't do it for that stuff because they're like, oh, that's from the 60s and 70s. Somebody, it wouldn't have made it here if it was too racy or whatever. Right. And, or, you know, or that's from my time period. It can't be that bad. And that, some of that stuff, it's like Sanford and Son. Some of the jokes they, they got away with on Sanford and Son they could never get away with today. Mm-hmm. Never. They would be, you know, they would be made to apologize in front of everybody. And back in those days, everybody just laughed. That's how it should be. Everybody should just laugh. Yes. What What a nice positive thought, Scott. (laughs) We should laugh at
0: racism and insensitivity and all these things. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) let's just move right along. Do we have anything else on preamble, or are we ready to get into All right. So shit where is my list here it is oh you're gonna need that yep alright so you know what do we want to take a little break yeah we might as well we've been
3: gabbing for a
0: while yeah we have been let's take a little break and we'll play somebody's promo maybe a promo or two and uh, and then we'll come right back with the freaky five
1: Yes. you've decided to go to a nearby restaurant you ask the hostess to seat you in a booth As you sit, you notice an animated conversation among the four seated behind you. They're talking about Star Wars and Doctor Who and something called the Laugh Olympics. These are the people you used to pants in high school, and yet you cannot help listening. Unable to tear your ears away, you realize you've just been sucked into the Dinner for Geeks.
4: Dinner for Geeks, weekly at 2 Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Punch.
5: Movies, <laughs> comics, and TV shows. Listen,
4: Listen as Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Magnus.Libson.com
1: Hello Scott, Chris, Paul, Bill, Mike, Greg, Peter, Bobby, Marcia, Jan, Cindy, Carol, Alice. It's Tom Panneries with my report from the Baltimore Comic Con, which I had the pleasure of attending on Saturday, September 7th. And since I have been able to use your name to get my press pass, I wanted to both thank you and fulfill my duties as a true, true Freaks correspondent. If you're unfamiliar with the Baltimore Comic Con, this was its 14th year, and it has grown quite a bit from when it was established, moving from a hotel ballroom uh, in a hotel up in Towson to the convention center downtown by the Inner Harbor Next year, in fact, they're adding a day. They're going to one of the bigger halls of the convention center, and that's pretty cool because the convention is still very comics-focused, and most of the guests are creators, and most of the panels are comic-centered. So it's a really, really good treat for comics fans. I guess we will start with the big news that came out of Baltimore as far as news goes. We've got two things. Uh, the first concerns George Perez, who prior to the con had announced that he had signed an exclusive deal with Boom Studios. One of the Baltimore panels was a Perez retrospective, at the end of which he announced the name of his first project with Boom, which is called She-Devils, and will be a miniseries that comes out in 2014. There's not much beyond that and a piece of promotional art, but it's greater owned Perez work, so it might be worth keeping an eye on. The second big piece of news had to do with the DC New 52 panel. The Thursday prior to the con, J.H. Williams III and W. Hayden Blackman announced that they were ending their run on Batwoman with issue 26. The reason for this was one that's been familiar when it comes to DC lately, which is editorial interference. According to the statement they released, storylines have been changed at different points, and the last straw came when DC editorial forbid the marriage of Kate Kane and Maggie Sawyer. Once they put out that statement, Portions of the internet blew up, accusing DC of intolerance, homophobia, and what have you. However, at the very beginning of the panel, Dan DiDio went off script, stood up, and addressed the controversy directly, saying that it's not that they don't want her to be married, they don't want anybody to be married to anyone. And when we went out with the New 52, and even before the New 52, we had one very clear idea on I think They shouldn't have happy personal lives. They shouldn't. They put on a cake and a cow for a reason. They're committed to being that person. They're committed to defending others at the sacrifice of all their own personal instincts. And for me, that's a very important statement to make. And that's something that we reinforce. Because if you look at every one of the characters in the Batman family, that their personal lives kind of suck. Bruce
5: Wayne, Dick Grayson, God uh, rest his soul,
4: um, <laughs>
1: Oops, I shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't. Then uh, <laughs> I got the Nightwing people visiting me again. <laughs> but Tim Drake, Barbara Gordon, and Kathy King. It's wonderful that they try to establish personal lives, but it's also just as equally important that they put it aside because they know what they're accomplishing as the hero takes precedence over everything else. That is our that is our mandate. That is our edict. That is our stand with our characters. We reinforce this with every single of the books, with every single of the writers. You wonder what editors do? That's their job. The whole thing of Didio's speech is about three and a half minutes. Personally, I'm not going to editorialize too much, except to say that I'm annoyed. Uh, I do believe that DC honestly wasn't trying to be homophobic, and that's not why I'm annoyed. I'm just annoyed that it seems like they're simply being lazy here. Uh, DC doesn't seem to be trying to give us anything beyond like gimmicky retreads of stuff from 20 years ago. And, you know... I'm starting to fall into that camp that that so many other uh, older fans are falling into of a comic fan who's kind of feels alienated by all this because not that I need deep deep stories and not that I don't like big fights but I don't know I I just I I I have no problem with a superhero being married for instance it's just it just I just don't get it but. That is something we can discuss forever, and I'm pretty sure we have in different circles on Facebook and message boards and podcasts and what have you. And I would rather focus on the very good time I had at the convention, the fun that I had in the convention, because that, why, that is why I was there, uh, you know, to just enjoy myself. Um, I wound up with plenty of signatures. I did a lot of shopping, and I even have a couple of reading recommendations that I'm going to make along the way. Creators of note I got to meet were Adam Hughes. He signed my copy of New Titans, number 93. That's the one where Starfire poses for a porno mag, as well as several pages of the binder edition of of Who's Who. Alison Sohn, his wife, uh, who is also a fellow artist and had the booth with him, said that they actually get a number of requests here and there for the original artwork to the Who's Who profile of Ice from the Gifford de Mateus JLI, uh, which I think some of you might remember that particular, uh, particular pin-up. Uh, speaking of Gifford de Mateus, uh, both of them were there. They're both very nice people. Uh, Michael Golden was there and Michael Golden signed a few issues of the NOM for me and hopefully will be on a future episode of In Country if I can make that happen. I met a few other people. Um, Art Balthazar and Franco signed some of my son Brett's Superman family adventure comics that I had brought with me. Uh, Franco drew a sketch of crypto I got to take home for him. I also got to meet and talk to Mike Kunkel, who is was drawing uh, Hero Bear and the Kid, Uh, Comic that I started picking up and and Brett and I read together. He signed a couple of the books, he drew a little Hero Bear on the cover of the special, and I got to buy a stuffed Hero Bear. So I took that home as well. Uh, In fact, there was a whole slew of kid centered stuff at uh, the convention that made this for a really nice, friendly, uh, family friendly, and friendly overall atmosphere. There were a lot of kids running around, kids in costumes and kids not in costumes and stuff. It was really, really cool to see. I also got the chance to talk to Rob Kelly uh, he of the Aquaman Shrine, the Fire and Water podcast, Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, and what have you, and the creator of Ace Kilroy. In fact, I got some Ace, signed Ace Kilroy stuff. Uh, Rob was incredibly nice. Uh, I cannot wait to read his book, Hey Kids Comics. Uh, true it was True Life Tales from the Spinner rack, I believe is the subtitle. It looks really, really cool. It's apparently in the mail on its way to me, and by the time this airs, I'll hopefully have it in my hands and I'll be reading it. I I can't wait. Uh, Terry Moore was another person I got to talk to. My wife and I have read all of Strangers in Paradise, and uh, I've really been enjoying his new series, Rachel Rising, which if you haven't checked out, I'd recommend tracking down an issue or trade because it's a really, really good horror comic. Uh, Really well worth the read. But my big signature for the day was George Perez. Uh, I got in there. Uh, I was one of the first 50 people in line of the regular people, not the VIPs, because I showed up two and a half hours early for the convention. And got in there, got my little ticket, uh, and then went off to talk to other people, but uh, Best idea ever, by the way. I got in at 10, didn't get to meet the guy until 12. So those two hours, I was able to run around the convention and have a little fun and come back and see if they got to my number yet. Couldn't be nicer of a person. I'd heard that, but it's really, really great when people live up to their reputations. He signed my hardcover copy of Crisis, my copy of New Titans 38, which I brought because it's a comic book that I actually teach in my English class. In fact, I told them about that. I, uh, I teach 10th grade English. I actually teach this uh-huh. in my advanced English class as part of a unit on stories about family. There's a oh. lot of necessity we read about a guy who, real, who discovered that he was adopted in was search to find his true identity. So I read it. I make 30 photocopies of the book, but we read it, and my students uh, really, really enjoyed it. I'm glad. They, wow. they, they enjoyed how much it was a, a Robin story as well as a, a Donner Troy story. They didn't understand why Robin and Donna Troy were a couple, and I told them I couldn't explain. Hey, you hey, <laughs> well, don't that Yeah, I know. but I, this is a real treat, and, uh, and and thank you so very much. My pleasure. Right, thank you it was great meeting you. Thank you. I also had him sign uh, the Wonder Woman and Troy pages from the Who's Who binder edition, and I know it's not a lot for him to sign. Well. I mean, I could have been one of those guys with a pile of stuff. There were plenty of them. But I limited myself on purpose, especially since there were so many other people there behind me. And when he was signing for me, he actually had maybe about 45 minutes before he had to get to his own panel. He was doing sketches, though, for for, a, for an additional donation to the Heroes Initiative. So I, I put in some money, and I got a Wonder Woman sketch for my wife, which I took home. I had it framed, uh, and it's now hanging in her office, uh, it's gorgeous, too. It is absolutely gorgeous. I won't bore you guys to death uh, with my purchases, except to say while last year I picked up a ton of trades for really, really cheap, this year it was a lot different. I wound up with way more back issues in my bag than trades. But I got some really, really cool stuff on the cheap, including, of all things, both issues of who's who in Star Trek which I couldn't pass up since they were a dollar. So, And I've never seen them before anywhere, so I was pretty psyched about that. And honestly, that's about it. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting something or someone in here. Uh, overall, though, I had a great time. I'm already looking forward to next year. I want to thank you guys again for not only letting me drop your name for the press pass, but for giving me the chance to report back. Uh, If you'd like to hear more of this about Baltimore Comic-Con, my feelings of it, some more audio that I was able to capture, Um, it'll definitely be most of my next episode of Pop Culture Affidavit, which should be coming out later this month. Uh, Until then, this is Tom Pannery signing off and sending you all back to Comics Monthly Monday.
0: All right, welcome back to Comics Monthly Monday, number fifty-five, and now we are going to get into the Freaky Five.
5: What's all of that?
0: Freaky Five for this episode is the top five most inspired casting choices for a superhero movie.
3: Just the mere opposite of last month. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. It's the positive. It is the positive.
0: All right, are you gonna keep making digs at me about
3: that now? I'm not picking on you per se. I'm picking yes, on you. Are. Positive, positive. Well, didn't it, didn't we make an addendum to this to that title
4: yesterday when we were talking on Facebook, Scott? I, I Yeah, I kind of liked the the.
0: I don't. I'm not sure who it was that came up with that, but yeah, I do kind of like that idea. That I, I might have missed
3: that, so it wasn't me.
4: It's not so. No, I it was. It was. It, the, the, the top five most inspired casting choices in a comic book oh, project oh,
0: oh,
3: outside I'm, of Christopher I'm, I'm, Reed. Yes. Oh, Sorry, I, 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 I thought you were still talking about the positivity thing. Yes.
1: You yeah. know,
3: it's funny because I knew I just took that as a granted. It was like when we did our top soundtracks. It was like, okay, can we get Star Wars out? Okay, we're all Star Wars. Okay, we can leave that off the list and See get what, to other stuff.
0: That's funny you say that because Mike same and I were, were talking, we're messaging back and forth on Facebook, and uh, and we we basically said the exact same thing is this would be kind of like the soundtrack one that we did where we just said like can we just acknowledge Star Wars right off the get go? So yeah, <laughs> essentially Chris Reeve is is off the table only because come on, you know.
3: Let's, Otherwise, yeah, it would yeah, be here. a top four for all of us, really.
0: Yep. The- Absolutely. So who who wants to go first on this one? All right, I'll go first on this one. Right off the bat, before we get started, I just, you know, from last time, our, our subject last time was the top five worst casting choices. And, you know, I spent, I don't know how long, poring over a list of all these superhero films and, and really racking my brains for that. I thought I did a phenomenal job. And then, of course, as always happens, I listen back to the episode and I'm like, how the hell did I forget to mention David Ogden Steers as the Martian Manhunter? How did how did that happen? That was I
3: didn't even know that happened.
0: Well, that's I maybe oh, yeah. that's the problem is that it didn't really happen because it was uh, it was a pilot that was a filmed pilot? and then it never aired. But yes, that really happened. He's he's painted green with, right there with his great big old beer gut as the Martian Manhunter and takes a pilot that was already. Pretty questionable to begin with and just pushes it right over the cliff into complete absurdity. He it was just a ridiculous act. casting choice it's like really you're gonna you're gonna take uh oh what the hell was this character on Mash there? Um,
3: um Winchester
0: Winchester and cast him as the Martian man on a really okay. But anyway. Say
4: what? Personality wise it worked. Yeah,
0: maybe I mean, I could see him maybe like voicing the character or something, but yeah. Uh I don't know. He just the resemblance wise, <laughs> not so much.
4: No, no, not at all. I mean uh, <laughs> the pilot is awful. Don't don't get I mean it's 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 not as bad as legends of the, the superheroes and
0: the superheroes roast. <laughs> yeah, or the roast uh, is all embarrassing by today's standards.
4: Oh, but but a lot of the... But but you can't get worse than that. By the way, uh, you can you can buy those now from Warner, uh, exclude, you know, like the... Basically the same thing they do with, like, the Kathy Lee Crosby Wonder Woman pilot and all that. You can buy it directly from Warner Brothers through Amazon. Seriously? On DVD?
0: Wow. Yes, that's okay. I'll pass on that one. I have a bootleg of it, and that's all I'll ever need. Nice to know, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... So anyway, you know, I, I have to be honest that, with the obvious exception of of Christopher Reeve, who we talked about, you know, who I I think everybody here will will agree, you know, he's perfectly cast as Superman, and still embodies for for most of us or for a lot of us Superman, you know, to this very day. But I don't, for me personally, I don't think. Superhero films have been particularly well cast until relatively recent days, with you know, with maybe a few notable exceptions. So a lot of my list is going to be fairly recent stuff. But anyway, um, going in a definite order here, number five: Alec Baldwin as the Shadow. I uh, hmm. I I love that movie, and I think it's really really solid in that movie. Because now, granted, I didn't know a hell of a lot about the Shadow going into that series or into that movie. All I really had to work with uh, was the Howard Chaikin miniseries, The Shadow Returns. Which, man, I wish they had made a, a sequel with Alec Baldwin adapting that story. That would have been great because he reminds me of the Shadow in that story. And then there was the the uh, limited series. Was it a limited series, or was it just a series that didn't last very long? But there was a series that DC did right after that mini with uh, Bill Sanket. There was two. Two of them, yeah.
4: The, there was The Shadow, and then The Shadow Strikes, written yeah. by uh, Gerard Jones, and I think That's art by right. Eduardo Barreto.
0: Yeah. I never did read The Shadow Strikes. I've heard it's really good, but yeah, I, I read the I read the you know, the mini of course, and then I read the, the series by uh or that I can't remember if Sinkevic worked on the interior, but I know he did the covers for it. And that was a really good series for as long as it lasted. I enjoyed that a lot. And I just I thought that, that Baldwin really nailed that character. Plus he's
3: got the voice for that. He's got character. the profile and back in those days that was before he was like sort of the portly guy. Right. Or not portly, but he just like got barrel chested, and that was in the day when he was young and lean and mean, and he had that that pointy face for the shadow. You know, he in profile he looked right. You know.
0: Well, what's neat is there's several scenes in the movie where you can see he actually mutates his face when he's the shadow. He, you know, he has like a more elongated nose and everything. Right. And it was really neat. The little makeup trick that they, they used in those scenes to, so that he wasn't, you know, it wasn't just a Clark Kent effect. It wasn't just glasses or a scarf in this case. He actually right. physically changed the, the features of his face when he became the shadow. I
4: always See, I always got it that he was just using his power to cloud men's minds to right. make people think he, like that right yeah that's what and i mean it wasn't like right oh, okay okay i thought yeah. and it was like a physical no like, no he, he sat there and pulled on his nose a little <laughs> bit <laughs> but no that's what i mean is that he
0: he used his power um to mutate himself you know what i mean but i i didn't mean physically necessarily but to other people he did appear as a completely different person and I, I really liked that because you can see there's a moment toward the end of the movie where he's uh fighting um Oh, what was his name? I wanted to say Shere Khan, and that's not right. It is um, it is Khan. It's Khan something. I can't remember. But he's fighting him, and you can see his concentration keeps slipping. And every time his concentration slips, he reverts back to Alec Baldwin, which I thought was a really cool effect. So you can see that it's all mentally based. It's all based mm-hmm. on his, his concentration and his willpower, and I thought that was really cool. Um, number four. Thomas Hayden Church as Flint Marco, the Sandman in Spider Man 3. That dude just plain, just look, he looks like he just walked right out of the pages of the comic. He just looks like the Sandman, and I thought he was really good in that role. I I liked his voice, I liked, you know, just the look of the character. Um, I I thought it was a, a really inspired bit of casting, and I was trying to think. If there was anybody else in those Spider Man, you know, the original Spider Man trilogy of films that I thought was particularly inspired, and I really don't think so. I thought those films were pretty badly miscast too, except maybe for Doc Ock. I really did like. Uh, I was about to. What's his name? Don't get
4: ahead of myself, sir.
0: Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much everybody else in those I, I thought was like. Most of them I just looked at and went, really? That guy or that girl? But uh, but Church as Marco, I, I really liked him in that role. I, I of course I've always really liked the Sandman anyway, but he just plain looks like the guy. I thought that was really neat. Um, number three, Edward Norton as Bruce Banner in the Incredible Hulk. I thought he nailed the role, and uh, and I really liked his portrayal of Bruce Banner. You know, Bruce Banner to me, it, it's one of those roles that should be almost throwaway where you could kind of plug anybody as long as they're a decent actor in there because let's face it none of us go to a Hulk movie to see Bruce Banner we all go to see the Hulk but this was the first Hulk since say the old TV series where I actually enjoyed the Bruce Banner parts of it I you know mm-hmm. I, I liked him and and I actually enjoyed the non-Hulk portions of the movie because he was very engaging and uh, and I really liked him in that role and I felt he was playing the character, which I don't really think anybody else did before or s- or since for that matter. As much as I like mm. the what's his name Ruffalo as I as Ruffalo nailed it. See, I just. I don't you know physically he doesn't resemble my idea of Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner should be a little scrawny guy. And I think Ruffalo's kind of beefy, you know. But I mean, that's I don't want to I don't want to open the door to to floods of people going, "You're nuts" because I you know everybody loves the guy and I loved him too. I thought he was great in the Avengers, but if I had my pick, I'd I'd want to go back to Norton. I thought Norton was just great as Bruce Banner. I really enjoyed him. Norton? Norton? Uh, number two, for many of the same reasons as Christopher Reeve as Superman, Chris Evans as Captain America. Ah, uh, yeah. He was fantastic. I, I he just, almost made my list. He uh, he was everything I think that that character should be. And it's funny because when he was initially announced for that role, I will, I will cop to it. I was one of those people like you're seeing right now when people are flipping out about uh, what's his name being cast as Batman, uh, Chris Evans. And not that I don't like the guy, I liked him, but he had just been Johnny Storm in the Fantastic Four films. I just couldn't see it. I couldn't see Johnny Storm playing Captain America. I would just looked at him and said, really? But damned if he didn't nail it. He's. I think he's just pitch perfect as captain america he was earnest he was sincere he had that aw shucks way about him kind of a uh,
3: and without it being like a parody of it it was it was authentic yeah
0: i mean he he was very very um christopher reed he was he was the best um characteristics of like Reeves' performance as Superman in that role as Captain America and I, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was fantastic. And uh I'm a little nervous about the next movie just some of the things I'm hearing about it and some of the directions are going with the story, but he returning as Cap gives me faith that I'm going to enjoy it, you know, as well. So On some level, yeah. Cuz he's just he's sincere and I really like that. I enjoyed the I enjoyed the Cap movie a whole lot. And I, I really liked him in, uh, the Avengers as well. And my number one, man, this, this one, uh, this one came as a shocker even to me because I, I couldn't believe that one of these movies would ever make my a number one on one of my lists, but, uh, I, I got to give it up. Michael Fassbender as Magneto in X-Men first. Friends. Oh, good one. And, uh, good you know, one. I, I, I'll, you know, I have short shout outs as well, or, you know, a couple honorable mentions, I'll just throw in as well James McAvoy and Kevin Bacon as uh, you know Professor X and Sebastian Shaw, respectively. You know they were excellently uh, cast in that movie as well. But it's Fassbender who makes that movie for me. Oh yeah, he's great. And I, I know Mike and I have both said many times I'd watch a Magneto movie with him. Just just a Magneto movie, of yeah, I, I, out I, hunting down Nazis. I would watch that. Yes. and that I just think that movie is already great. But he he's the one that elevates it to that level. He's just fantastic in that movie i I have watched that movie dozens of times now and I just love it it uh, it just rocketed right up there to uh, you know a very high spot on my personal list of of favorite superhero movies and uh, and it really is his performance in there that uh, that does it for me so that's my list. Oh a uh, couple other quick honorable mentions. Um, this was kind of a selfish one, but uh, but I'll throw it out there anyway. John Slattery as Howard Stark in Iron Man 2. It's not so much that he has a perfect portrayal of Howard Stark, but he'd make a hell of a Walt Disney. He, uh, yeah. he ails Walt Disney in that, and I thought that was great. And uh, <laughs> this is a weird one, but the entire, I mean entire... Cast of the Rocketeer. I don't think there's one miscast actor in that entire movie. I love everybody in that nope. flick. Great movie. I That's thought you were
3: going to say a different movie. I thought you were going to say a different movie, but I'll wait till oh, okay. I get to 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 mention that. That's funny. Well, somebody else run. I'll go. I'll go. Me. Me. <laughs> All right. So my number five is uh, Carl Urban as Judge Dredd just awesome. Awesome, awesome. You'd never think the little guy that played Dr. McCoy could basically not just fill Sylvester Stallone's shoes, but sort of stomp Sylvester Stallone right (laughs) out of them.
4: But he sure does.
3: He never takes off the mask. huh? Chris,
4: have you ever seen Red? No. He has and I haven't seen the whole film, but I saw this. He has an absolute badass fight scene with Bruce Willis. Oh wow! So yeah, I mean, I, I know I haven't seen the new Star Trek yet, uh, and we're not going to get into that because we'll be here all night. <laughs> but um exactly. But he can move. Simmer down, boy. Simmer down. Is what I'm saying. So.
3: Yeah, he nailed Judge Dredd. It, it, it's a treat to watch him play it. It's on the level of seeing, you know, Bruce Campbell playing in an Evil Dead movie. Um, number four, and uh, Mark Ruffalo is the Hulk. <laughs> I, Yay! he I he, I agree with Scott. He's kind of beefy, but he's got that that scruffy, hippie vibe that Jeff Bridges used to have when he was younger. You know, and he just had this sort of like, all right, I'm the Bruce Banner that sort of Zen found my Zen spot, you know, to where I can actually sort of have a sense of humor about it. Um, but number three, Ed Norton as the Hulk. <laughs> I can't decide which one I like. Probably Ed Norton more because he actually had a full movie right. built around him. Yeah, and and pretty much what Scott... he just he play he sunk himself in the role and he's infamous as an egomaniac who takes over movies but he's the kind of egomaniac who takes over the movie and shapes it more towards being a better movie it seems like more than like shaping it so it's more screen time for him and stuff because he really you know he, he he does a good job in all aspects of that movie, and it's funny he came in number three with both you and i Scott <laughs> same number three um I had one on number two, but it got bumped down into a honorable mention, so I've got when I remembered this one um Patrick Warburton is the tick uh. say what you will about the t v <laughs> show say what you will about the show but He's the perfect man to play the tick. Hmm. yeah? No, no, Nobody? Yes. Yeah.
5: No, I'll
4: agree I'll, I'll agree with it. Okay.
3: <laughs> I mean, say what you will about the show and how it was written and how it was made, and it was kind of a hideous mess.
0: Well, see, I thought we were going strictly with with movies. So
3: oh. I actually
0: refrained from picking anything TV-wise. But that said, I, I have to be honest, I love Patrick Warburton. I could not, not make it movie. through that pilot movie for the tick. <laughs> I thought it was abysmal. And I am a huge tick fan. But I, I actually could not watch it. I ended up turning it off. I was like, this is
3: horrible. But that's just me. That's just me. All right, my number one is going to be Scandalous too. maybe, then. It's oh. not a TV show, at least. But this is what I thought. This was the movie I thought you were going to say when you said the entire cast was perfectly cast. So I picked one from this one, and that's Robin Williams as Popeye. Oh
0: my God, how did I forget uh, Shelley Duvall as Olive Oil? Oh
3: Born to play Olive <laughs>
0: to Oil. play Olive Oil. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're right. You are right. I, I cannot believe I forgot Yes. Wimpy. Yes. And uh, the guy that plays Mr. Giesel, I, I don't know what the actor's name, he's mm-hmm. perfect too. A kid who kills death. <laughs> he should be killed to death. And, I, I love and, that movie.
3: And my favorite Martian is as is, is is Poop Deck Pappy. You know what, perfect. you just reminded
0: yeah. me of something, and uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but we're going to have to... Uh, we're gonna have to step up and be grown ups for just a few few moments and right. and have a very comfortable meeting with uh, with a member of the uh, of the extended family and and just kind of kind of read them the riot act, you know? Because uh, not long uh, not long ago on dinner uh-huh. for geeks they uh-huh. were talking shit about Popeye what movie and uh, you know I I, I don't want to be that guy, but. We we just we can't be a Biden, that kind of thing. You agree? We need to make a Popeye show, man. <laughs> we do. we well, do. I'm down for it. I got She's it on the TV. People <laughs> of Sweet Haven, I, lo- I that you know you know me and how I'm infamous for like really not liking musicals. I will sing along with that movie when I That's, watch
3: it. That's because those that that songs are written by Harry Nielsen, who is a great songwriter. I mean, the food song is one of the like that was, song. Is one of the say. most profound songs I think in the entire universe. I written. I love the food song. Yes, it's two chords and it's just a just a drone almost. You know, it's oh, and it's and that whole sequence is like one of the comic pages that's come to life. You know, it's mm-hmm. just a million little gags going in a million different directions. Uh see, I will I can grant you that that after
0: popeye freeze poop deck pappy that movie goes to shit it it, it, yeah. it has star trek five it had, it had
3: serious problems it, after that you yeah. know in the production
0: but up till that point i love that
3: goddamn movie it, it's, it's it a backs me up it, 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 it i think it's great it's one of my favorite movies of all time actually yep. and me too um I saw it when I was a kid, and I was sort of lukewarm on it. But as I've grown and watched it more, so I've got two, um, two um, honorable mentions. What you might call it? Honorable mentions. Um, the one that was going to be my number two that got the tick bumped was Robert Downey Jr. as as um, Iron Man, Tony Stark. And they're both obvious ones, and Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. I mean, he was that's another one born to play the role he loves it he see, lives it i wondered he, if either
0: one of those would make anybody's list, and they're almost too obvious they're almost
5: well, too easy see, that's to, you know? the thing
0: is that i think a lot of people throw those out there like oh these were but you know for and, and i'm uh, i'm speaking strictly for myself i'd argue both of those because robert downey jr I mean, he's great, and we love him, and I can't now envision anybody else as Iron Man, but when he was cast for that, I thought it was an, a, a horrible choice.
3: because right, but this that doesn't day, mean it bad just no, it no, it's bad not. casting. No, it's not. But
0: if, if you're honest with yourself, and you look back at Tony Stark pre-Robert Downey Jr. playing him, he's not oh, playing no. Tony Stark. He, he oh, kind no. of reinvented the character and now Tony Stark in every incarnation you see since the original Iron Man film has now become that but well, yeah but that's we're, not
3: really who he was before that we were judging on a casting right right casting basis which means whoever cast Robert Downey Jr in that movie definitely got a raise <laughs> you know what i mean to this day though
0: i still you know i mean i realize he's far far too old for it now but I, to this day i'd still have rather have had timothy dalton in his prime playing tony i just that's who i always envisioned in that the role. little
3: cheesy mustache yeah. yeah and i mean hugh jackman man come on who who else do you picture playing wolverine well, so that that's would...
0: the thing the, the only reason i would argue hugh jackman is because i i love hugh jackman as wolverine he kind of his performance in both of the first two X-Men films is what brought me around to mm-hmm. finally being able to tolerate the X-Men. And I, I'm, a, I'm a really big fan of those first two X-Men films. But again, I would argue that he's not really playing comic book Wolverine because I can't really stand comic book Wolverine. I just
4: don't <laughs> like it. See, I'll argue that because if you... Like, like the original Wolverine miniseries or limited series that was just recently covered on Back to the Bins. Mm-hmm. That Wolverine is very much the Wolverine that he's playing in the yes. film. You he's so? playing the more John Byrne, yeah. Paul yeah, well, Smith, yeah, the, okay, I'll give, Phoenix,
3: yeah, Phoenix
1: era, that
4: era Wolverine than what Wolverine turned
5: into.
3: Yeah, because that yeah, was you know, that's a very Wolverine. human. That's, that's one more suited for the movies, too, you know, because it's hard to keep up with those other Wolverines. That that's yeah. very true.
0: That's very true. Yeah. If you're if you're looking back to earliest Wolverine when he wasn't, you know, an invincible, you know, machine that could be regenerated from a single drop of blood and, you know, could fly into the sun like in that stupid a stupid yeah. horse shit, you know, then, yes, then, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you because I like that version of Wolverine better where, you know, he could get the shit kicked out of him and he could be knocked unconscious, Whereas the the latter stuff like the, you know, the issue that you've got that you were just talking about, you know, that era Wolverine. I mean, he he's to me, he's very boring because, I mean, you could cut his head off and he's going to come. I mean, the Hulk ripped him in two, for Christ's sakes. And he comes back. How do you come back from being ripped in two? If you yeah, come don't. back really pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, not to say that they're 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 bad uh, casting. They're not. I'm. But what I'm saying is, to me, my idea of of a great casting choice was like this person fits this role. They were made to play this role, rather than take that role and and and, like mutate
3: it, turn it into something. You know what I mean? But well, I think that's right. Hugh in that category. I think right. he lo- I think he was just like I think he's like Shatner. He's like, Okay, I'll be Wolverine until I die. I'll be I'll be fat Hugh Jackman and if they cast me as Wolverine, I'll do it, you know?
4: Well plus is well, well let us be fair. Mm-hmm. Well I was gonna say let's be fair, Wolverine made him as an actor. Right. And that is why you saw him in uh five second cameo in right. mm-hmm first class where, you know, he tells them to fuck off because he, I think, I, I don't know exactly where it is, but from what I understand, he said in an interview, anytime that they ask him to play it, he'll play it simply because he, he knows what that character means to him as an actor. Are you
0: listening, Leonard Nimoy and Harrison Ford? <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah,
0: that's why those guys are on hey? the list. They should, yeah, exactly. <laughs> ah! Jack? But yeah, that see, I respect that immensely. The guy knows what made him, and he's he's going to honor that. I I love that. I wish more actors had that same work ethic, or whatever you want to call it. Absolutely. Well, plus, isn't Hugh Jack? I mean, how tall is he? That was another one of my points. Is he's that like over he six feet tall? Yes, yeah, he's too tall. For he's supposed to be a, a shrimpy little guy, but I I yeah. like that too. That they they disregarded that. You know that they went with. You know, a, a guy that you know has real stature to him and everything. But anyway, I think I, mean, yeah, it's I it's think to sure hear Mike's sure. Mike's uh, yeah, I
4: too. Well, I, I want to mention because I, I thought we were doing movies, but I did want to mention two television casting choices that I thought were absolutely brilliant. Uh, the first being Michael J. Pollard as Mister Mysterious Pitilic on the Superboy television series, because if if anybody was born to play. Mr. Mickshad's peddler. It's 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 Michael Pollard. What about uh, Gilbert Godfrey? He was Nick uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and the other. Try, oh, oh that's Thomas. what they should
0: have got was Clint Howard to play him. That would have been great.
4: <laughs> he, he actually probably would have been good too. The other. Was and and the first time I heard it, I thought it was brilliant. I thought she played the character wonderfully, even though the show kind of fell apart in the middle. I thought Dina Meyer as Barbara Gordon Oracle on the Birds of Prey oh, yeah. Pre- series was inspired casting because she looked like what you think Barbara Gordon should look like.
1: Yeah, it, it didn't she hurt at all. That
4: she, yeah, that she was smoking
0: hot. So yeah,
5: that
0: yeah.
4: Didn't well, hurt. No, but she was great in the role. She played who. Right off of the Birds of Prey Chuck Dixon written series onto the screen, I thought it was great. But going into movies, number five, uh, going a little similar to what Scott did, I thought Billy Zane as the Phantom was fantastic. I love that movie.
5: Uh, I, I loved out the it it there on the out. forum
4: about that one. Uh, a lot of people didn't like it when it came out in 1996, and I blame that squarely on the, that horrendous slam evil uh, advertising oh, yeah. campaign that they had Yeah, where it's just like that. That's not how you do that. Cause it was a fun adventure film in the summer of 96 where you had like mission impossible and independence day and all, all that in the middle of it, you have this fun superhero film and everyone looked like they were having a good time. The action was good. Billy Zane looked like the freaking phantom. Uh, that costume was amazing. So number five was the Phantom. Number you four. See, uh, before you go on to
0: that, did you see? There's a uh, There's a new. I don't know if it's a mini or a series or what. There's a new book that's going to be coming out. I want to say it must be Dynamite is putting it out. Do you remember the Defenders of the Earth back in when was that? The yeah nineties, I think.
4: Defenders of the Earth.
0: Yeah, Defenders. there's a there's a new series yes. coming out. Yes.
4: I, I can't, like, Huh. Out of the sky, is rocket's <laughs> <at> night
0: <laughs> I don't remember what the name of it is, is off the top of my head, but it's a new thing coming out from Dynamite, and it's going to be the Phantom, um, Mandrake the Magician, and Flash Gordon all teaming up together. It looks like it has real potential. It looks interesting.
4: That is awesome. I love the fact that they're bringing in. They're not bringing back Lothar and, and the four new young heroes. Proving their worth, four become eight. <laughs> defending the Earth, poetry, <laughs> my friend. Poetry. <laughs> Number four, and I'm not a really big fan of the film series, but Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon, or as James Gordon, and it's it's like oh, I totally agree with that. Frank Miller and David Mazzucchelli's Jim Gordon step. Off of the page and onto the screen. Mm-hmm. Because he looked like the character and he acted like the character. And I loved it. I loved every freaking minute of it. Um, number Believe three,
0: it or not, I actually gave him a shout-out last uh, last episode. Uh, but in a good way. Not as, not as one of the worst ones. But I think I called out the entire cast of Batman Begins with the exception of Gary Oldman, who I thought was really, really good as James. Well,
4: to be fair... Christian Bale in Batman Begins was Batman and Bruce Wayne. I think the the diminishing returns of that series and what what they did with Batman, which is not what I want to see done with Batman, made me dislike it. But I thought Christian Bale, especially when he was Bruce Wayne and being kind of affable and all that, I thought he did a really good job. But we're not gonna. I'm not sitting there to. I'm not trying to wind you up. I'm just
5: no, no. That's putting
4: it
0: out. I, I will grant you. I think he looks like a Bruce Wayne walked right out of the comics, but that's as far as I'll go. I, I I don't care for his performance, as I think I've mentioned once or twice.
4: Number three, oh god, Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. Mm-hmm. If anything about this, and I and I like, I, I really all three films I like on one level or another. But Alfred Merlina as that character wasn't strictly like Doc Ock was in the comics. But he gave that character such a humanity that when he fell and became the villain, I actually cared about it. Right. And I thought physically he looked like what you would think a guy who's playing Doc Ock should look. No, he wasn't wearing the green jumpsuit or anything like that, which I think is probably for the best. But his physicality when he was Doc Ock was great. Especially when he had like the sunglasses on and everything. And I just, I just thought he was fantastic in a, in a movie where just about everybody else was slowly starting to phone it in. And that got even worse in the third one where it seemed like the three principals were phoning it in. And it was up to the villains to really carry the film. Uh, because I, I liked, uh, um, I liked Topher Grace as Eddie Brock quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. So. Number two, also from all three of those Spider-Man films, J.K. Simmons as J. J. Oh, Jonah Jesus! Yes, how did I forget? Yes, you're right. Holy crap! So much so that now he's voicing the character on all the various Disney XD animated series. Wow. So. Him and the guy playing Phil Coulson uh, do the do their their roles in the animated world as well, and it's just great to hear that barking voice. And it's really funny because J.K. Simmons. Did either of you ever watch Oz?
3: No. I've seen, I've seen uh, probably about ten, fifteen episodes of it. So yeah, I guess so. Okay. Yeah.
4: Okay, he played. J.K. Simmons on, on Law & Order played a psychiatrist character named Dr. Skoda. He was a very, you know, kind of a laid-back guy, but, you know, he definitely had his opinions, and, you know, but he was he was the shrink, right? So right around that, he starts pe- appearing on uh, Law & Order Special Victims Unit, which I would watch, and then I would watch Oz
3: <laughs> on HBO. He's he very, very different in Oz.
4: Yeah, very different role and in Oz. And Billy West, who, who's the voice of Fry on Stimpy. Uh, and Stimpy on on uh, Futurama, he said his wife told him, you know, you have to watch this Oz show because the guy playing this white supremacist, he's not an actor. They actually got a criminal from the inside, and they put him in the role. And he laughed. He goes, that's the yellow M&M. So, because J. Jonah Jameson is also the yellow M&M on the commercials. Don't know if you know that, but that's true. Whoa. Whoa, but... <laughs> and Billy West is the red eminent, M&M, which you can tell, because a lot of his voices sound the same. But, mm-hmm. No, I, I, I just... I absolutely loved him. He he kind of personified the gruff, I-hate-Spider-Man type J. Jonah Jameson that you would see, but you could also see if they had given him... Like, at the end of that one issue where he admits why he hates Spider-Man back in the 60s, uh, and, like, he would have... like. I mean, they almost did that in the second one, when they thought he gave up and and he had this, you know, like he almost he was it's almost like he was saying he was noble and I respected that and blah blah blah. Number one, oh, th- this one's gonna get me in trouble, but I'm just gonna come right out and say it: Dick Durrock is swamp thing was <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> In the I'm first one, useless. and, and in, in the second one. Now, the second one is a piece of shit film. Let's let's not mince words here. It's, it's that awful, guy could wear
3: a robber suit, man. But
4: I liked him as something in that film. Is that <laughs> seriously your number one? No, that's not. That's not seriously my number one. <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, number one was hard. Because there's a lot of you know I I I was thinking Hugh Jackman as as Wolverine and I was thinking uh, I was said Tommy Lee Jones as Iron Man but that's wrong (laughs) Robert Downey Jr. as uh, as Iron Man but like Scott said those are kind of or Chris I forget which one of you because you know you're kind of interchangeable to me at this point no just kidding I love you both what nothing I'm just kidding (laughs) go. Um, they're obvious, you know, they're the ones that, you know, you look at and you're like, well, yeah, that, that's, that, you know, it's obvious after the fact, basically. Right. Where you hear it, you may not believe it at the time, but you see the film, you come out thinking no one else can play this character. But in terms of an actor being announced to play a character and then actually playing him, I thought Patrick Stewart as Professor X was some of the most inspired casting you can think of. Despite the fact that that really and truly Professor X really doesn't do a whole lot, especially in the second and third film. I mean, in the second film, he's like captured for most of it. In the first film, he's in a coma for the last half. And in the third film, he dies. However, having said that, when he was Professor X, he is what I thought of in reading Chris Claremont era X Men comics. You know, he's not as much of a douche as that as the Claremont Professor X was, because he could be a jackass, but he just looked like that character. Yeah. And uh, and I, and and I'll I'll also give an honorable mention to James uh, Marsden as Cyclops, because they didn't give him a whole lot to do. But I thought if they had given him something to do, he would have been great in that role. Uh, yeah. I'll buy but that. Unfortunately, unfortunately, the emphasis in all these films is Wolverine. And that's not a bad thing because I think that's one of the things that made them successful. And I think, I don't know how big his role in Days of Future Past is going to be, but you almost need him to be a big, big role because of what a big role Wolverine was in the original story. But I, I, I'm kind of sad that James Marsden's not returning a Cyclops for that because they could have, you know, if it's a time travel movie, they could do whatever they want. So it would have been nice to actually give him something to do. Having said that, I'm really looking forward to seeing Michael Fassbender as Magneto again. Yeah. And, 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 and seriously, that scene in Brazil in the first class, like oh, Scott yeah. said, I want a whole movie of that shit. Mm, I, yeah. Just what a cold hearted killing people that needed to be killing basically. So, but that's my list. Uh, I'm glad I was able to fool you all with the Dick Durock. Right?
0: <laughs> I was like, he can't be serious. <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right. I think you just like saying Dick Duroc. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, of per- course. What? <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Let's take a little break and we'll come back with the final part of the show.
2: FINAL PART OF THE SHOW! (laughs) Hi, my name is Mike, and I like comic books. Okay, so what do you think about Matt Affleck being Batman? No, I said I like comic books. That's a movie, and I couldn't care less. Well, it's a comic book movie. Really? Did you go see the magazine movie? Or do you watch the television book? I like comic books. You know, those things make for paper? Especially the old ones? Whoa, those things? Are they CGC 9.8? No, you're missing the point. I like to actually read comic books. Especially the old ones. I like them so much, I even build a website to tell other people about them. Does it have any information about uh, Avengers 2? No, it has info about actual comic books. Lots of covers, creator credits, character appearance lists, story synopsis notes, and so much more. Hmm, that sounds interesting. Where can I find it? It's at mikesamazingworld.com. Do I have to read anything? Reading makes my brain hurt. You can just look at the pictures if you want. Or, you can listen to my podcast, where I talk about the history of DC Comics, especially the old ones. So I can listen to a comic book podcast? It's a podcast about comic books. You can find it at 2TrueFreaks.com. What's it called? Mike's Amazing World of DC History. History? You mean like before Twitter? Yes, the world actually did exist long before Twitter. My show is for comic book fans, especially the old ones. So check out Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the website... And listen to Mike's Amazing World of DC History, the podcast, for information and fun related to actual comic books, especially the old ones.
1: He joined the crusade, he helped rule the night, he fought for justice, he wore short pants. Okay, so Robin didn't always have the best fashion sense. But there's no way that he should be ignored, ridiculed, or even derided. He's been an important part of Batman's history for nearly 75 years. And that's why I've decided to give him his due in taking flight. Presented by the Batman Universe, Taking Flight is a podcast dedicated to all incarnations of the Boy Wonder. And every episode, I take a look at the adventures of Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Stephanie Brown, Damian Wayne, and all the others who have worn the red, green, and gold at the side of the Cape Crusader. New episodes appear every two weeks at the Batman Universe, which can be found at the BatmanUniverse.net. So join me, Tom Panneris, as I put the spotlight on the greatest sidekick in comicdom. A
4: Teenage Anarchist
0: And now it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show...
1: Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. Comic
3: ah. <clears throat> This month for Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic, I was assigned Aguaman. Number one from the DC Comics New 52 comics. It was written by Geoff Johns and it is the story starts in the Atlantic where piranha people are swimming up from a crack in the bottom of the sea. But then we are in Boston where some bad guys steal an armored car and are running away from the cops. They see Aguaman in the middle of the road blocking them and they make fun of him. Even when he flips their car with his pig sticker and bounces bullets off him, the cops pick on him. Poor Aguaman should be played by Rodney Dangerfield in the movie version of Aguaman. (laughs) Then Aguaman goes to a seafood restaurant and everybody picks on him except the girls who think he is hot even though his chest literally looks like a goldfish. We found out... The Aquaman doesn't talk to fish, he eats them, and then he plunders pirate doubloons from the ocean floor. Some dumb blogger tells Aquaman that he is half-fish, half-queen of Atlantis, as if Aquaman needed to be told that. Then he tells Aquaman that Atlantis isn't real. Then he asks the bulletproof guy with a gold pitchfork how it feels to be a joke. Aguaman then spears the guy and does a naked fish dance around the restaurant. Oh, I'm sorry. That's what I would have done. (laughs) Aguaman just leaves and tips the waitress $10,000 in doubloons. Then he has a flashback to his lighthouse keeper dad before telling his hot redhead girlfriend that he is going to give up being king of Atlantis so he can live on dry land among the people who think he is a joke rather than be king of Atlantis and still have the hot girl. I am beginning to think that Aguaman may not be the shiniest doubloon in the old treasure chest. Meanwhile, the piranha <laughs> guys are causing mischief as they begin to chow on the occasional old sailor at sea. The end. <laughs> was that, I enjoyed was that, that, Aguaman the, number one. Was that you throwing down the mic and walking away? <laughs> no, that was just me closing the book on, Aquaman. What'd you think of this? It wasn't bad at all. It was it was it was entertaining. It definitely <laughs> That's a ready <ringing>
4: endorsement. <laughs>
3: it it addressed I guess a lot of the complaints people have about Aquaman for sure. I mean I thought it was a little too much you know okay we're gonna put him it was like a thought out thing where we'll put him in these situations where everybody around him can just tell the whole you know give you a cliff notes of his of what's gonna be going on i'm uh, assuming this is sort of a retooled up aquaman so so there's a lot of exposition that's just a little kind of awkward you know that I mean, really would a blogger guy come up to a superhero and go, "Hey, how do you feel, you know, hey, I hear you're from Atlantis." "Yes, I am." Yeah, Atlantis doesn't really exist, you know. <laughs> it's it's just kind of weird, you know. Right. But but it was entertain, you know, it's a comic book and I liked I liked that idea for you know, approaching it's a, it's it's, they're sort of doing that, like, how can we make Aquaman cool? You know, how can we make him a sympathetic character or or whatever? I'm definitely interested to see where it's going. Those, let, um, let me ask you, though.
0: See, I, I've heard the same thing said about this, but let me ask you honestly. Is this an attempt to make him cool, or is this showing, no, he is
3: cool. You just, right. you know, you just don't know it. That's just, basically yeah. what it is. Yeah, okay. all the all the people in the comic are basically the readers who've been like Aquaman. He's lame, you know. The cops are like Aquaman save the day. They're going to make fun of us at the precinct for this, you know. And in the mean in the meantime, you're like, oh, this Aquaman's not a bad guy. He's a little mopey in this one, but um, yeah, I would be too if I went in the restaurant and basically people were treating me like that. But then again, if you walk into a restaurant with green tights, a trident, and, and you know, goldfish scales on your chest, you're going to sort of expect a certain amount of scrutiny. But, I, you know, I just, real people aren't that, like, blunt and rude. They are the celebrities and stuff, but you got to figure somebody who can take their trident and flip a car upside down. Even if they, they weren't gangster. witness here, that though the the no, but I have to, I have to, I have to think that, you know, they, they don't think this guy doesn't have any powers. He's just some joker who swims around in the sea. You know, right. he's obviously some kind of you know even a less basically. If you were in a bar and you know the crappiest wrestler from WWF walked in you still wouldn't be like, hey, dude, is wrestling fake? I think that stuff's stupid and fake, you know? You wouldn't do that because then he would throw, he'd say, yes, it's fake, and then throw you through the window. Or at least possibly, you don't know, you know? Right. So I thought that was, I mean, I thought that was very unrealistic. But it's a it's a comic book. Not to dismiss it. I'm I'm glad it wasn't going for gritty realism, you know? It looked like it was going to have some humor in it, and it looked like it was actually taking a turn more towards horror. Those mm-hmm. those piranha creatures remind me of. Remember, it was early on in the saga of the Swamp Thing, mm-hmm. with the town full of vampires, and then later on it got revisited. Yep, with um, Alan Moore, and then they had that basically piranha vampires hatching in that bottom of the lake. They reminded me a lot of those, but um, yeah, I liked it. And the, and then the and then these creatures attacking were sort of another setup of like, oh man, you guys are gonna wish you hadn't been dissing on Aquaman. Although I thought, if you're Aquaman and your girlfriend, his girlfriend wasn't like lobbying for him to leave Atlantis. She seemed. Now, is she the mermaid, or is she a mermaid, or something?
0: No, not yeah. not exactly. She's um, she's from a different um society dimension. of yeah, different yeah. I guess it is a dimension of mer people, but they're not they're not mermaids. You know, mer people as far as like the bottom half of them are fish or anything like that. Yeah. So she's Lucky got a problem, yeah. She's got a different power set and everything, and then in this series it turns out that uh, there's some schism between the two cultures to where he can't really take her to Atlantis or something like that, but uh, oh. you know, that's, that's much later in the, in the series. But Mike, what did you think of this? Are, do you read this book regularly?
4: Uh, funny you should mention that. I was following it for a really long time, I got turned on to it mainly because of the wonderful podcast, the Fire and Water podcast, which is hosted by the irredeemable Shag, who covers Firestorm,
5: oh, and Rob
4: Kelly, uh, and Rob Kelly, who runs the Aquaman Shrine blog, as well as a thousand other blogs, including one of my favorite, the Treasury Comics blog, which I love to death. But he, they were covering right at the start of the new Fifty Two, Aquaman and Firestorm. And it was because of how they were talking about the series that made me go and get the hardcover of the first storyline. And that hooked me enough to make me want to get, I haven't, I haven't followed it in the past couple of months because I, I would just go to the shop and pick it off the shelf thinking it was always going to be there. Ha ha fool on me. But Scott asked the question before, does, did Jeff Johns make Aquaman cool or was Aquaman always cool? And Jeff Johns just showed people how he could be cool. And I definitely fall into that category. This was always a great character, mm-hmm. you know, super friends, as much as I love that show, did more to damage Aquaman as a character. Amen. Uh, in, in, in the public minds. Now, a lot of people fell in love with Aquaman because of the super friends. So I'm not saying that it was a total, you know, like a total smear job, but, because he really didn't have all that much to do when he's hanging around with Superman and Batman and like the, you know, Wonder Woman and all the big guns. You know, he, by comparison, people have taken that and used that to make fun of the character. And I have not read an exceptional amount of Aquaman comics. But to me, Aquaman is one of the seven pillars of the DC Universe. There are seven characters that need to be there in one form or another for some of them, for me to go that's the DC Universe. That's Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, and Aquaman. And that is totally because of how I came up as a comic book fan. I realize that, but it doesn't change the way I feel. Aquaman has been one of the few characters outside of having some canceled periods and, and all that. But if you look at books he's appeared in like adventure comics and then justice league and then having his own series through, through most of the, you know, have a series at the beginning of the nineties and then that was canceled after 13 issues. And then Peter David started one that lasted all the way into the two thousands and ended with Dan Jorgens and Steve Epting. And then a couple of years after that, after the whole, Our Worlds at War thing, which they tried to kill him, but they couldn't kill him because Warner Brothers had a movie in pre-production, so they weren't allowed to kill him, but with his role on the Justice League cartoon and the later part of what started out as a Rick Beach-written Aquaman book. And I say that to get Chris's Spider-Sense going.
3: I have those somewhere. I have not read them yet, but I I bought the first four issues of those a while ago. But I... I haven't got to him yet,
4: but I think because they came back from Infinite Crisis with sort of uh, Aquaman, sort of Atlantis, I think changing the character, getting rid of Arthur Curry for a little while, probably damaged all you know his reputation in the minds of the people that were just coming into comics at the time. And Jeff Johns comes along, brings him back after uh, you know during Blackest Night. And he's one of the main players in the book Brightest Day, which I finally found cheap enough to buy because I really didn't want to pay full price for it. You know, Jeff Johns is an exceptional writer. I I think that there are certain things that he does as a writer that bug the crap out of me. But for a long time there, if if a Jeff Johns book came out that week, it was on the top of my stack. I was going to read that first over everything else. And he has a love for this character that translated to this, you know, this first issue and to the series itself. He is showing something that Mark Wade said. You know, Mark Wade is, is quoted, and I don't know the exact quote, so I'm paraphrasing, but he controls three quarters of the ocean. And Peter David made a good point uh, in an interview where he said, if you drop Aquaman in the middle of New York City. He'll be able to do whatever you need him to do. If you drop Batman in the middle of the ocean without a rebreather, he's dead in for it. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, he's too, because
0: some of my favorite issues of uh, of Aquaman ever were ones where he teamed up with Batman, uh, typically drawn by uh, Jim Aparo. But, see, Aparo is yeah, the artist that, that I will always, always associate with Aquaman. You know, I, I associate him strongest with Aquaman and of course, Apéro is my, you know, default Batman artist as well. So you know, you put those two characters together in a in a story by Apéro, and I just I'm I'm there for that. Love that stuff.
4: You should check out one of the latest Fire and Water because they cover two issues of Brave and the Bold with Fire, Firestorm, the only one he did, and then in one of the Aquaman ones,
5: hmm. uh,
4: where Aquaman throughout the entire where Aquaman throughout the entire issue is just telling Batman to sit down and shut up, essentially. <laughs> And he's going to do what he's
0: going to do. I need to listen to more of that show. I I, I have listened to it, and I was listening to it regularly when it first came out, but they were covering so much stuff that, um, how do I put it (laughs) kindly, that I just wasn't really interested in, if you know what I mean. So, you know, nothing against the show. It just was stuff I wasn't familiar with and didn't plan to check out. So I I, I didn't, you know, I kind of fell behind on it. But uh, yeah, I'll have to seek out the ones where they. Yeah, I I'd like to seek out the ones where they're covering eras of of both of those characters that I actually do know and uh I need to get back in touch with the, with Shag again because I think he did throw out an offer once to, you know, to come out and talk about uh about Aquaman. And I'm also a fan of Firestorm too, but uh talk yeah, about Aquaman yeah, I, I'd, I'd I, love I to. I
4: remember that cuz it was going to be the four of us talking about the DC Comics Presents issues, but you know, what else? It's okay. <laughs> get get on him about. You yeah, remember it. that? I, I do kind of vaguely. Well, we've been talking that. about that's... it. We we included you in messages, and you never responded. I was probably busy. So that's true. <laughs> you are a busy man. It's hard, it was hard to get you here tonight. No, uh,
0: I would also. What'd you say? Chris? What? I said I was looking at porn. Yeah, come on now. You can't be cutting into my porn. I,
4: I would also heartily uh, recommend their Who's Who podcast, where they're going through Who's Who. wants... It's 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 they're they're fantastic. I love them. They're I love their fire and wonder stuff, like the who's who podcast, and every once in a while Rob will play power Records stuff when they have like a free week, basically. So it, it's it's a fantastic uh, network of podcasts. Uh, Shag just started up another show with somebody covering the Mayfair DC role playing game.
0: Yeah, I saw that. I saw I- the picture he put up because I was like, hey, I have that. I bought that when it came out because it had that awesome cover on it that's uh, a take on Crisis on Infinite Earths. I opened it. I got all the stuff out. I read it all. Never played it one time. I still have it somewhere. Never did
4: play it. But getting back to Aquaman, what got me about this series wasn't that, ooh, Jeff Johns made Aquaman cool, is that Jeff Johns just wrote a really good superhero book Mm -hmm. and showed what Aquaman can do. The way this... Storyline played out the way the others played out. There's a great one-issue spotlight on Mara. Uh, you know they, they give Aquaman and Mara a dog who was officially named by the Aquaman Shrine as Salty. Huh. Uh, that, that that's like that's like in the book that's like in the official canon now. And then they went into what what really sold me was Throne of Atlantis, which crossed between Aquaman and Justice League, which. Was the first time I picked up Justice League since the New Fifty Two and went, yes, this is what the Justice League is supposed to be. This is what they're supposed to do. So that be these big epic. It was such a fantastic story.
0: That uh, has been my only exposure so far to, um, the New Fifty Two incarnation of Superman, and you know it was weird because I really enjoyed the story and I really enjoyed everything going on there. I even kind of liked Superman, how he was portrayed character wise in that, but I was looking at it and going, Hmm, have I been wrong? And then I thought, no, I really haven't been because I typically always enjoy Superman in another book anyway, because a lot of times there, there were, have been a good number of times over the years where Superman proper wasn't really doing it for me, but he would guest in some other book and that writer would get it, you know, and, and they'd give you a really good interpretation of, of Superman guesting in some other book. That, you know, that happens a lot with a lot of characters anyway, where sometimes their guest appearances in something else are better than what's going on, you know, currently in their own title. But I did like that crossover a lot. But uh, I'll, I'll hold my thoughts.
4: And, uh, I... I no, uh, there, there's a lot of problems with the new 52 Superman, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. But I, you know, it's just, you know, Ivan Rees and Joe Prado started out as the art team. Now Paul Pelletier yeah. is drawing, and it's really good to see him coming back because he's got a real Alan Davis look to his artwork mm-hmm. that I appreciate. And I, I think it's just the, 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 what Aquaman proves to me is. There is no character that a good writer coming on treating the character right and producing good stories that you would want to read it. And this is this is a great example of that because Aquaman is not a bad character. Some bad things have been done to Aquaman that he needs to go to a shrink about and talk about where the readers touched him and where the artist drew him. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know it's, it's very sat and, you know, kind of, I, I kind of see it as Dr. Cats because it's all wavy, I don't know why, but this, you know, it, pick up the the first hardcover at least, you can find it cheap online, read it. Oh, the, How exciting the story is, see what a badass Aquaman can be. And and that's all i got to say about that.
0: I, uh, I picked this up for a couple of reasons. For one, um, I am an Aquaman fan. I've been an Aquaman fan you know, for a long, long time. Most of my life, really. Because when I was a kid, I used to have the Mego superheroes that my folks would buy for me. And one of my favorite ones was always Aquaman. Because I just liked how he looked. I just thought he has a, had a really cool costume and a really cool look and even when i didn't really know anything about him as a kid i just thought he was a cool character plus i always you know again as a kid not really knowing much about him until i started you know being able to read and read comics and watch the super friends and stuff i always thought he looked a lot like superman he looked like a blonde superman to me so somehow i i always associated him and superman very closely in my mind I, you know I, i'm not sure why other than they they just look similar to me but uh I always really enjoyed the character and then you know I discovered him in uh in things like Brave and the Bold and when he had his run in Adventure Comics when um, I always associate it being uh written by David Michelinie but I know that there were other writers in there too but you know being drawn by um Jim Aparo and then later on by Don Newton I love that stuff it's great great comics it's a lot of fun adventure. Some of it can be a little silly. I mean, yes, he does battle guys like, um I'm trying to think of the guy that actually had a pirate ship that plied the waves underneath the ocean in a pirate ship, which was really silly. It's like, why wouldn't you just have your ship on the ocean like a normal ship? But this ship actually underrated or operated under the ocean, which was really kind of silly. And he did have, you know, some goofy villains like the fisherman and stuff like that. But I, I enjoyed the character. I thought he was really cool. And then I was at uh, MegaCon this past year and uh, struck up a conversation with Paul Pelletier. He had his art laid out on the table in front of him, and flipping through his art. I came across pages of Aquaman and I was thinking to myself, when, when the hell did he ever work on Aquaman? I couldn't remember a time when he had. And having no, absolutely no knowledge or any connection or anything with the new 52, I had no idea that he was the current day artist on Aquaman. So speaking to him about that and just hearing his passion for the project and how excited he was and, of course, looking at how great the art was, got me really excited about it because I could tell here's a guy that gets it. You know, he, he understands this character and how cool he is and, and how powerful and, and awesome he really can be when he's handled right. So despite my prejudices and my my obvious distaste for the whole fifty you know new fifty two reboot and everything, I figured, well, you know, it's it's Aquaman, how badly could they have screwed him up? And reading this just made me really really happy because they didn't screw him up. They essentially set him back to his roots. This to me feels and reads just like the old adventure comics I read when I was a kid, the stuff that I really love and associate best with the character. You know, gone is the you know, the beard and the I don't know if it was a mullet or whatever, but, you know, the long hair and the stupid hook hand and the bare chested thing and all that. I mean, that was fine for a very small period of time in the 90s when they were, you know, all of comics were kind of going through that. Everybody was doing that. Yeah, everybody was doing that. It was fine for a brief little hiccup of time but it went on way, way too long with this particular character. It's just, it's not who he's ever been. I've never seen Aquaman as a dark or brooding or morose character. It it is my one issue with this, and I won't say a complaint, because it's not a complaint or anything. He does tend to be a little more um, stoic and a little... More um I'm not sure how to put it. He's not like grim and gritty. He's not um I don't know, he's just he's a little more morose, I guess would be the best way to put it. And that version of Aquaman I always associate with issues of Aquaman immediately following the death of Arthur Jr. back in adventure comics. Because after he lost his son, he changed as a character. He really did. He be, he did become uh, more sullen. But again, that didn't last a whole long time either. And so I, I really like this version of him better. I just I wish he was a little more lighthearted in this, a little more uh, jokey, but again, if he did do that, then that might lend credence back to, you know, people making fun fun of him again. And this one he's he's very serious and he's a badass. And he's out to to prove it. And I like that. I really like the the take uh that John's went with in this of you know he uh he's he kind of seems like he has something to prove, and I like that that he's he's gonna show people that no he's not a joke and there's there's just in this first issue alone there's just so many moments that I really really like you know when the when the robbers look out the window of their car and see him. And he's standing in the street. It's a very, you know, Superman-esque pose. It's a very regal pose. He's standing in the middle of the street. He's got his trident, and he looks badass. Mm -hmm. And they see him and start laughing at him, like, what the hell is is that Aquaman standing in the middle of the road? And they're going to run him over. And he just picks them up with his trident and flips an armored car. And I love where the guy crawls out of the uh, uh crawls out of the car and opens fire on him with a machine gun. And I like that John's remembered that he's tough enough to take that. He takes a bullet right to the temple and it draws blood, but that's all it does, and it's largely what it does is it pisses him off.
3: Yeah, it's the Kirk thing where he wipes a little drip of blood off his face. It's like, okay.
0: Yep, and then he lays into the guy. And then my other favorite moment is uh, him in the restaurant. You know, he goes to basically, it's like an Arthur Treacher's kind of place. And he goes and he orders (laughs) fish and chips. And everybody flips out. I mean, the whole restaurant stops and is looking at him. And he says, what? And the the douchebag behind him gives him shit about it. He says, you can't get fish and chips. And Aquaman says, why not? He says, because you talk to fish. And that last panel is priceless. That look on Aquaman's face when he says, I don't talk to fish. I love that. I love that. And this whole scene addresses everybody's common misconceptions with this character. Because then another guy chimes in and he says, yeah, you do every." aquaman talks to fish everybody knows that's what you do and he gives an explanation of exactly what it is that he does do that he doesn't necessarily talk to fish that he's able to command them and i I just i loved the whole setup in this i thought it was really good and this series has just been a solid read there's been one or two issues that uh i thought kind of meandered a little bit there was a I don't know if it was necessarily a fill-in issue, but there was kind of a an issue where it talked about the others. I I, I didn't really care about that one too much because it did kind of read like a fill-in. But the crossover that Mike mentioned. What was the name of that again, Mike? The the crossover with Justice?
4: Throne of Atlantis.
0: Throne of Atlantis. Throne yeah. of Atlantis. Fantastic. I really, really enjoyed that. And uh, you know, I, I'm a guy who has actively Avoided the new Fifty Two for a whole number of reasons. The the largest one being, the uh, the reboot of Superman and what what's been done to that character. I I'm not going to go into it other than to say I just I don't like it. I completely disagree with it, and I go out of my way to avoid it. However, despite the fact that Superman was an active participant in that crossover, I found myself really digging it. I thought it was a lot of fun, and I liked that Aquaman. Aquaman was the center of a big DC crossover. I thought that was really, really cool. It was a very exciting story. Plus, getting to see Batman and Aquaman teaming up again in a story about you know massive floods and all this stuff really took me back to my childhood in those Brave and the Bold stories because those Brave and the Bold stories with, with him and Aquaman generally would be set on Aquaman's turf, where they would go into the water and they would deal with, I don't know, Ocean Master or whoever they were fighting. So I, I really loved that stuff. It really took me back. And uh, the latest one with The uh, the Return of the King was really good, too. So I, I'm really digging this book. I think it's solid. Um, at the moment, it and, uh, and Jonah Hex are the only one, or All-Star Western are the only ones that, uh, that I do read. They're, honestly, they're the only ones I've checked out. I'm still not on board with New Fifty Two, but this is a solid book. You know, they've uh they've done a really good job with while it is a reset of the character, it doesn't necessarily feel like a reset. It just kind of feels like more of a uh a return to its roots, you know, kinda of like getting back to what the what the character in the book should be about. Yeah,
3: that's a reset. It's just it's not a reboot. Right.
0: But the only the only thing I do miss though is that well, essentially, it is a reboot because you know the, the continuity of the character has been lost, and yeah there,
4: yeah, there's no Arthur Jr, yeah, uh, the hit, his origin with Black Manta was completely changed yeah. uh, it, it actually made good. It's basically like this is how I kind of looked at the new 52, and with all of my problems with it, which I don't want to get into because again, it's not that type of party. Right, but the new Fifty Two is to me somebody doing an adaptation of DC characters, like for a movie or television series. Right, only it's in comic books. Right, yeah, I'll buy it. And and that, that doesn't—I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that that the continuity that I know and love is gone. I've accepted that. I've gone through the five stages of grief. I have those books. I can go back and reread them anytime. In fact, now I appreciate them more because I know that, there is a, that there's a a there's there's an end point for them. Right. But it, it's almost as if they're trying to pitch all of these characters as movies. And the only reason that Batman and Green Lantern didn't get as much of a reboot there is had a movie. the two main... Well, no, not only that, Jeff Johns wasn't done with his story with Green Lantern, and Grant Morrison wasn't done with his story for Batman. Right. So there you go. But this, to me, feels like Jeff Johns designed an Aquaman television series. He's still doing it as a comic book. It's very much a comic book story with cliffhangers and double-page spreads, and he's using that medium to its fullest advantage with this series. But to me, this feels like season one, and now we're in season two, of an Aquaman TV series. So all the little changes are the same type of changes you would find in a television adaptation or a movie adaptation. Right.
0: Yeah, I'll buy that. And see, I can live with that because... Well, with the exception of Arthur Jr., because that that's the one thing that that will always... Um, not bug me or anything, but it will always make me a little bit sad because that to me is a classic story. That is one of the classic heartbreaker stories of comics. It's one of those stories that every single time I read it, it just brings tears to my eyes because it's a really, really powerful. Story. it would be essentially if they did something to Spider-Man to where the kid who collected Spider-Man never happened That would make me really sad because that's a just that is like a quintessential story of Spider Man. You know what I mean? So if they did something like that, it would just be such a shame. And and now with this reboot of Aquaman, we've we've lost that death of Arthur Junior story, which is a real shame. However, I think what we've gained back, or just gained in general almost balances that out because you and I Mike and I can't remember correct me on this cuz you you may remember was it just a conversation that you and I had or was it an actual show was it an episode where we talked about Aquaman and Captain Marvel and several other characters like how yeah, that
4: it feels like it was either a back to the bins or I think it was a Tails. maybe it was uh, during like cuz cuz we would go off on crazy dramatically tangents. Yeah. long tangents yeah uh, so I can't so, remember. But, but, but yeah,
0: it was. But you and I had this great conversation, and I remember Aquaman taking up a bulk of that conversation and how we talked about that. Yeah, you know, what they should do with him is is make him more of a like an Arn Monroe, Golden Age Superman kind of character, you know, that power level, and stop playing around so much with, with ocean stuff and, you know, forget about stupid, uh, oh, what's his name, Volco. And, you know, concentrate more on the things that really make him cool and his power level and how strong he must be. You know, and he's, he must have super hard skin if he's, you know, swimming down to the depths of the Titanic and stuff. And it, it's almost like they were listening because just about every one of the things that we said in that episode is addressed in this. And I love it. I mean, they did bring Volko back, but now he's not this this big fat like sea elf looking guy. Like he always was before he's actually a very interesting character and they've done something exciting with the guy. They've made him actually crucial to the story. Whereas before he was just, I am I, not even sure how to describe him. He was like, like one of Santa's elves or something that they, they felt the need to show you all the time, but he was never really important. Now he is. And, And I just, I've really been digging on this series. And I
4: really liked what they did with him, too. Yeah. I absolutely loved that, because, you know, Volko was never one of those characters. I understood his place. But to kind of recast him in this role, where even where he's doing something he shouldn't be, there's a nobility to it. Yes. I think it served the character well.
5: Yeah. Yeah,
0: I, I agree. Very much so. Yeah, I'm excited to see where this goes. I'm a little nervous now after reading your post today. I don't know if you want to touch on that at all.
4: Uh, well, yeah, I mean, and actually I was going to bring it up anyways because because I read a couple things on Facebook that kind of, well, I'm not going to miss words. It pissed me off because the DC solicits came out today, and in addition to the Superman Man of Steel line getting another volume, uh, collecting more of the John Byrne, Jerry Ordway stuff, yay, Really excited about that. They had the first issue of... Uh, they had Aquaman number 26 was solicited, and Jeff Johns is not writing the book anymore, and they say it's a new it's a new era. Jeff Parker, who's done a lot, a lot of good work over at Marvel, uh, is coming onto the book. And I saw a couple people saying, ah, Jeff Johns is off the book, so oh, am I. And I'm like, why? Was it really Jeff Johns that made you come onto this book? And the possible answer is yes. It was Jeff Johns that got them onto the book. What I was hoping is that Jeff Johns would get people onto this book and love the character, not necessarily his take on the character. Like he gets it started, does it for a couple of years, and then you bring in some other writers that are going to do just as kick ass type stories as Johns is doing. But basically, what you're, you're saying there is that what that says to me is that fans still have in their mindset, oh, Aquaman sucks unless Jeff Johns writes it. And right. that pisses me off. Yeah. Because it's the exact wrong headed give the book a chance. Now, I am I, I'm a big believer that if you're not enjoying what you're reading, just stop reading it. But don't sit there and say, I'm leaving the book before you've even read what the new writer has to offer.
0: You know, they did the give same give thing when he life. was when he was doing uh JSA, I remember much the same thing happened that you know the minute he left people you know, jump ship like rats, you know, like rats deserting a sinking ship. And I I thought that was a shame that people weren't even willing to to stick around and and give the next – because it confuses me. I always look at it and go, why were you reading this in the first place then? If you're not into the characters – I mean, I can understand following particular writers and following particular artists. I've done that for much of my comic collecting career – but at the same rate, generally speaking it, it has to be the the book itself. It has to be the characters or the team or whatever that interests me that uh you know I, there's certain writers and artists that I love, but there's certain characters that they may pick up and work on that if I don't if I honestly do not give a rat's ass about it, I, I won't follow them to that project. And so I'm confused. If people are are reading this book and enjoying it, I mean, is it really you can just leave when he leaves? I mean, why wouldn't you stick around? If if he's made you love Aquaman either again or for the first time, wouldn't you want to stick around to see where that goes? I'm kind of confused by that myself. I I don't get that mentality. I I would at least stick around because I'm trying to think, has there ever been a time... Well, no, I, I guess there has been. I, I I if I'm honest with myself, I guess I've done that once or twice cuz uh well, I was going to say Namor, but you know, I did stick with Namor just slightly after Byrne left it, but that's not a good example because Byrne left, I can't remember who the writer was, but uh it was I think it was Jay Lee that followed him up on that. And, an oh comparison, my god, too. that was horrible. It is an apt comparison, I guess as far as a sea king, but uh do you remember that? Right after he left, wasn't that Jay Lee that followed well, him
4: up? Well, well. To be fair, Byrne was still writing it at that point. Jay Lee was just doing the artwork.
0: Oh, okay. So Maybe that's why I
4: kept buying it yeah. then. <laughs> well, well. The thing is, is that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and stand in judgment too much. Like you know, <laughs> I was just like, gonna like say, I, why not? Like I know. <laughs> well, no. no like, I'm not going to stand in judgment like I know better and everyone should follow my lead. But to me, just about every time that I've had a favorite writer or artist go on to a book, I usually – and this was back in the 90s, so it was easier to do this than in the 2000s. But I would get on the book, fall in love with the character, and then continue following the character – and go back and read before my favorite writer did that, but that's just because as much as I follow writers, I am much more of a person to follow a character into whatever book they go into. So, you know, that's just me as a fan. But it just seems really... I can get why people are upset, for example, why Ben Affleck is playing Batman. I don't think they should be as upset as they are because I rather liked him as Daredevil so I'm actually kind of looking forward to see what he brings to the character but for that I can kind of at least see well they don't like his previous work so they don't think he's going to be good at this to sit there and say I'm not going to buy this book anymore because writer X or artist X isn't on it I mean if that's what you read comics for then that's all well and good but if you're a person that likes, you know, continued stories and such, and have fallen in love with the character, then why not stick with it and at least give it a chance? Don't sink the ship, no pun intended, before it's even gone out. You know, you, you don't know what Jeff Parker is going to do with this book. You know, you, you don't know what he's going to do with the character. If you'll like it, it'll be a little. It's going to be different from Jeff Johns, that's for sure. But the art team staying the same, so at least you have some consistency there. It's it, it just it boggles my mind. It really does. It's it just I don't understand it. And I have and I have been to the lowest points of fanboy rage that you can imagine, and I still don't get it. Have
0: you read? And any... I just brought the room back. No, no, not at all. I was just going to ask you: ha- Have you read any uh, other New Fifty Two stuff at all?
4: Oh yeah, I mean, I I still follow the Superman books. I, I review Action Comics for the Superman homepage. So oh, okay. and they reek and they recast the Cyborg Superman. That they did something with him that made me go, "Wow, that's pretty freaking awesome." Hmm. Uh, and I and I wasn't expecting that. Superman, to be fair, Superman is 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 kind of um, it's a struggle with me because Scott Lobdell is currently writing the Superman title. He, you know adjective with Superman, which doesn't make any sense, but still, because there's never been an amazing Superman or a spectacular Superman. And he gets the character. And I know he gets the character, and a great example of this is that there was a scene where Clark Kent was flying to whatever assignment he was going to. And he's sitting there on the plane, and he's thinking, I could easily fly to wherever I'm going. I could do that in a heartbeat. But... If I'm going to protect these people, I have to live among them and be one of them. So doing this makes me feel a little human. And I thought, wow, that that's really getting the character. And then he'll do something with a villain that just makes me go, oh, what the f***, really? So it's this just, just kind of ping-ponging thing. Action comics has been a complete mess from the beginning. I did not care for the Morrison run at all. There were issues that I liked, but overall it's a run that I didn't like. They immediately announced that another writer's coming on. He comes on, and he quits before his first issue is out. So after the second issue, it wasn't him. Now you got Greg Pak coming on to action. And I liked him because he wrote Planet Hulk and World War Hulk. And I thought he really had a good handle on who the Hulk was. So I'm kind of looking forward to see what he does to Superman. And then they announced that his first issue of Action Comics... I believe it's his first issue of action comics is going to tie into this Batman year zero thing. And it's just like, really? You looked at action comics and said, you know what? This needs more Batman. So it's this, it's this like, I'm, I'm reading it dispassionately because the emotional ties to the DC universe and comic book form are no longer there. So on one hand, I can look at that and be able to go, well, it's not my DC universe anyway. So in the, at the end of the day, you know, who cares? But on the other hand, it makes me look at things and go, "Well, how do I feel about this as a story?" So it, it's a weird mix of emotions. Uh, firestorm was really good when Dan Jurgens took it over, because Dan Jurgens brought it back to more of the fury of the firestorm in its earliest day's feel where it was about two guys that are in high school that form Firestorm, and they have problems with their families. And he started bringing back the classic villains like uh, Killer Frost and Multiplex. And there was a really good Superman cameo where he told Major Force to sit the (laughs) down, which I appreciated. Justice League is now good. It did not start out that way. But starting with Throne of Atlantis, I have enjoyed that series consistently. Uh, and I keep hearing good things about Wonder Woman, but I just haven't checked it out yet. So it's kind of strange. I mean, there, there's a handful of books that I was, uh, that I was buying. I was reading, I've been reading some of the Batman titles because I like Scott Snyder writing Batman. So it's, it's, it's kind of strange. I feel like I've gone back to my old high school and I'm now working there. Does that make any sense? (laughs) <laughs> like you're not there as a student, so your perspective of it is completely different. Right. That, that no Go that ahead. that analogy
3: actually actually works. I can uh, I can get is behind that. Is it like a head. bad dream? Is it like a bad dream though, where you're there in your underwear? Uh,
4: well, I'm not wearing pants now, so. Exactly. <laughs> I don't
0: know. Is that about all we got for this time, fellas? I think so. We know what what our book is for next time. We're going to keep that a secret for now. We'll have to come up with a a freaky five for next time, unless you got one off
4: the top of your head, Mike. No, not really. I (laughs) I, I thought it, and then it it just disappeared, and it made me me (laughs) angry. All right,
0: we will come up with something. All right, that's it. (laughs)
4: Go away. (laughs) Bye, everybody. (laughs)
0: Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2 TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.
1: You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com